is Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network. Show Ali and Savannah Hamilton with you until around 6 p.m. Eastern. Three hours in change, Savannah, as we're on until the end of the Raptors-Nets game, which gets going at uh, around 3.30 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. Will Lou will have Raptors reaction right after us. We will spend a chunk of this opening hour on the Raps. Amon Adon will join us from Dishes and Dimes in a few minutes, a little later on in the program, we'll uh, shift our focus to other sports. Dave McCarthy from ESPN, or pardon me, from uh, NHL.com uh, will join us to chat. The Bigs Leafs 5-2 to two win over the hated Boston Bruins last night at Scotiabank Arena. We'll wrap up on the MLB season that was with June Lee. He is from ESPN. Uh, Jalen Collins, CFL defensive back, former Atlanta Falcon, will join us to discuss the Argos in the NFL, of course. Uh, but uh, week nine in the NFL going on right now as we watch. But Savannah, we are going to kick things off with the Toronto Raptors. Again, that game is on 3.30 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. But I guess I want to start with you. Haven't the expectations for this team changed so dramatically over the course of the regular season? Like going into this season, I feel like everybody on earth kind of accepted, yeah, okay, the Raptors are going to be, eh, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Like maybe, maybe they'll be in the play in, playing round. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows what, the, what, what Scotty Barnes will look like. Was that a good pick? And here we are just a handful of games into the year, just a couple of weeks, a couple of days into the season. And expectations for this team, like you look on social media, and I understand social media is, you know, you like you take things with a grain of salt on Twitter and so on. But at the same time, expectations for this team have changed so much. I feel like, if, again, health being all, all the same, if this team does not make the playoffs and Pascal Siakam makes his triumphant return to the lineup tonight, I feel like people are going to be pretty disappointed in the six. It's, uh, well, you just covered a lot of ground there, right, to kick it off. But first things first, I want to say, uh, you know, pleasure to be next to you co-hosting yeah. today. Uh, yeah, the, the Raptors, man. What a team they have proven to be so early on in the season. I think that they are just so ahead of schedule. I think that's what the the final verdict has been with Scotty Barnes. I don't think anybody really knew. Maybe Masai Ujiri at the end of the day. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he's doing, just slightly. Uh, I don't think anybody called Scotty Barnes per se when he got drafted to Toronto, him being already in the rookie of the year conversation. And rightfully so. He's putting up incredible numbers. Uh, you know, he, he's putting up double digits in scoring, contributing immediately to the rebounding. Uh, and then Delano Band homegrown shout out to Delano yeah. happy birthday to him today it's actually. his birthday it's really? his birthday he's turning oh, wow. 20 he is 22 good for him yeah they actually they made the uh 45 bus like the bus line that he took right for his number uh they actually said happy birthday on top of that <laughs> nice. bus line today but <laughs> yeah Rexdale's own right yeah. yep right. Rexdale's very own right. so I think uh they're doing really well um and and you know last night's or sorry Friday night's game against the Cleveland Cavaliers uh wasn't wasn't what they what the result should have been. However, uh, you know, having covered it, but the day before on Raptors today, my show on NBA TV Canada, they were talking about you know we were talking about the fact that you can't sleep on these Cavs team. Evan Mobley is a player that could really go against uh, Scotty Barnes and really uh, as they did and, and like really uh, deliver a level of physicality. So um, 
But other than that, you know, they were coming off of a five-game win streak. And, like, to start the season, they weren't doing so hot. But yeah. it's great to see how fast they're growing and how fast they're learning. And as you mentioned, Pascal now starts. Oh, man. The lineup, I believe, tonight, I believe Nick Nurse uh, mentioned this in his pregame availability. He said Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam with a starting five. Precious Achua will come off the bench. I do I do kind of wonder if that'll stay the same. I mean, we'll have to see what, what shape Pascal is in tonight, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, the guy hasn't played basketball, you know, in a, in a competitive NBA game in several months. So I yeah. think he, there's going to be some, I'm sure, some uh, getting back into the swing of things from a, like an actual game standpoint, I'm sure. Um, but I, I am looking forward to seeing Pascal Siakam. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I do wonder if going forward, because Precious Achua has been in the starting lineup pretty often, right? And uh, he's not in the starting lineup tonight. Kem Birch has looked really great uh, in his in his limited time as a Toronto Raptor. Maybe he's not always showing up in the flashy stats and the box score, but he is impacting the actual game on the court but in you know at a, a very tremendous level he is out today he's not going to be playing today um against the net so i'm fascinated to see how that works out because i don't know where you are on chris boucher but chris boucher like i i really like him and i want him to become a larger part of the whatever the raptors have got cooking here and it's really exciting to watch like you were talking about but sav i mean boy chris boucher has been i I don't want to say brutal, <laughs> right? That seems like kind of mean, like kind of harsh, but and it is still pretty early in the in this NBA season. But I just I I wonder like what has to go right now for Chris Boucher in order for him to get more consistent minutes. He needs to take his time, slow down a little bit more, and just remember the game that he has played that has gotten to him this far uh, in the past. You know, he really stepped up big last season, and he did that by just being consistent in the paint, slowing down, have like making those bunnies. He's taking a lot of three-point shots, and if I do remember off the top of my head that he's not shooting it super great. I think he's around the 20% mark. Right. Um, and so it's almost like, like there's, a, there's a concept in basketball. When the shot's not falling, you start inside and you work your way out. So I think he's maybe biting off a little bit more than he could shoot right now, but we all know what he is capable of in his game. Um, that being said, you know, he's taking a bit of a backseat to Kem Birch when he's available and Precious Achua. Precious Achua is also not performing at the level that, you know, maybe he was expected to perform at sure. going into the season as well. So uh, Kem, that's why Kem Birch has been shining and, and, and doing so great with this team and this roster. You know, the Raptors, their tallest player, Kem Birch, is six foot nine. And that's been a touchy subject yeah. <laughs> getting into the season. And and they did plan for this because, you know, uh, as Bobby Webster said in the preseason, you know, if they could have five OG Ananobis on the court, they would essentially in terms of structure. Wouldn't, and build. Right? Yeah. Versatility. Yeah. They can grab. But surprisingly, like uh, last time I checked, the, the Raptors were number one in offensive rebounds this past season, yeah. which goes to show you that it's, it's more than just being able to have out height people. It's, uh, uh, you know, even in the rebounding category alone, it's it's getting a body on people. This Raptors team is not afraid to be physical. So when I think of players like Chris Boucher, maybe he just got to find his stride a little bit more, slow the game down a bit more and, and work from the inside out. But in the meantime, you know, I hope Ken Burch comes back soon because he's been holding it down pretty well for the team. That's a good point that you bring up when it comes to the, I guess, the way this team is constructed. Because I remember having some conversations with uh, a ton of people, and, and including Iman Adan, who's going to join us in about uh, six, seven minutes from Dishes and Dimes. But I remember chatting with her in the offseason, maybe like right as Summer League ended and we were going into the preseason. And I remember we had a conversation about the idea, like you say, the the all the Raptors are 
such a you know such and such a height six nine was it I think it was yep. six nine so and the idea that the size would be a, a problem, a disadvantage against teams like, let's say, Philadelphia, where they have like Joel Embiid's and Andre Drummond's and mm-hmm. so on, when the front court is so large, they can they can bully their way in. And it's funny, right, because the conversation, we kind of started this conversation talking about Scotty Barnes. He he may not be as tall or, or a lot, and no one else is as tall as Joel Embiid, let's say, to use him as an example. But every single one of these guys, and that's why I'm so encouraged by, by Scotty Barnes, because he's a rookie and as a young guy, he's what, like 19 years old? Mm-hmm. These guys crash the boards relentlessly. Like, I think if I had to pick one word to describe this Raptors team, it is relentless. Yes. Like, on defense, the energy is there. The, the effort is always there. They're at or near the top of the leagues in deflections, right? Like you mentioned, the offensive rebounds. I know the team, it, like, certainly they have some flaws, and I'm sure if they play, I don't know, like an Anthony Davis or something, maybe they'll have their issues with that. We'll see, right? But at the same time, the way this team is constructed, I, I got to say, it, the, 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 I guess the apparent flaws seem much overblown. I can't tell if that's because of the individual effort sometimes mm-hmm. or if it's because of Nick Nurse's scheme, or maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned, like, the – the, the deflections and the steals that this team is able to get. That's the we, the North culture that Masai Ujiri yeah. and Nick Nurse has instilled into this team. And dare sure. I even say Dwayne Casey from before, you know, he really, they all really believe in a defense first gritty minded team and a player that has surpassed, I think expectations this season. It's almost becoming a bit humorous is Gary Trent jr. Oh, in man. that regard, because yeah. he leads the league in deflections by a landslide, um, and so, you know, it's just a reflection of how gritty he's he's changed his game to as well because he came into last year's season. Do you remember his 40-point game? I believe it was against the Wizards right. last season. Pretty close to that Norman Powell trade scenario, but he, his defense was always a weaker point. But, you know, as a former player myself, I can tell you right now, defense is not about how good you can defend. It's about effort. It's about hustle and heart. And I think that's something that Masai Ujiri really instills into this team. So, uh, you know, when I look at when I look at that side of the floor, you know, the Raptors, they, they tend to excel. And I think that's why they get become so successful in that 2019 championship team. Right. It was their defense that won games. And you mentioned Anthony Davis and maybe that he would cause a problem for this lineup. Well, I would say that based on uh, the, the, the game the other night when, you know, only Ru- Russell Westbrook was available for the Lakers um, against uh, the Trailblazers, you know, that caused, you know, though they thought they lost to the Blazers just on a lands on, on a landslide. So right. given that the Lakers are healthy and they are older, they're they're aging, um, it, I would think that the Raptors could actually potentially match up pretty well against them. Now, LeBron, <laughs> he'd be my biggest concern still. Yeah, fair. Anthony Davis, <laughs> I think he, Scotty Barnes would be a nice matchup on him. Uh, but that that's what I would say about their def- defensive end. All right. So you mentioned uh, we'll get back to the Raptors in a sec, but you mentioned you were a former player. What what I gotta ask? Like, what position did you play? Uh, well, I played a, a little bit of everything okay. throughout my career. However, in uh, university, I was more of the power forward. Ooh, okay. So, it sounds like you a little bit of everything. That sounds like you'd fit right into right. Uh, the Nick Nurse uh, <laughs> staple, you know, the scheme, right? Posi- positionless basketball is what they call it now, right? Yeah, exactly. I was having a conversation with um, my colleague Amy Otterberg, who's of course on right. the Sportsnet broadcast, and she played center position at uh, Miami, and we and her go back and forth on like the traditional basketball structure or the versatile, but. <laughs> 
I'm always like pro versatile because I'm like, let me do a little bit of everything. Let, let's just all eat. Let's all eat at the table here. And she's like, no, no, no. Like there's structure and, and, and she believes in positionists as well. But it's just funny. We can go back and forth on, on the different types of the game and nothing's wrong in that sense. Yeah, it's true. And, and look, the, the way the, the team has bought into this is great. I mean, the team, I mean, I guess we kind of always knew. And like you mentioned Dwayne Casey, going back to the Dwayne Casey era with DeMar and and Kyle Lowry, certainly, and even going back to, like, the, you know, the Grievous Vasquez's of the world oh. and so on, right? Like, <laughs> that, that like, I guess that period of time from the, the first round exit against the Brooklyn Nets all the way up to the championship, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess this, like, the past decade, essentially, right, of Raptors basketball, um, they, they all always bought into the culture that Masai Ujiri and of course, Dwayne Casey, and of course, Bobby Webster, and then later Nick Nurse as well, instilled in this team. I mean, you mentioned Gary Strand Jr. I want I can't remember if it was after the Wizards game or if it was after like the other night against the Cavs. But either way, Ken Birch was asked by the media. He was asked about like the the development of Gary Trent Jr. as a player. And he said something like, I forget what the exact quote was, uh, Savannah, but he basically said some something along the lines of uh, you know, and th- no disrespect to Gary Trent Jr., no offense, but a guy who'd never played defense and now actually playing defense. And I, I read that quote and I thought, is that like a, is he dissing Gary Trent Jr.? <laughs> is that like kind of a diss? But I guess, I mean, you know what, I guess that just speaks to how many or how much, how many strides, let's say, uh, Gary has taken uh, when you look back to his, you know, what, half a season as a Toronto Raptor last year. Exactly. And I think that's what like, that's what I was referring to. Is it's almost becoming a bit of a joke because <laughs> I think Gary Trent Jr. recognizes it in himself. And right. I think the rest of the team can talk about it um, openly as they are with, with the media here as well. Um, you know, and, and one thing that stands out about Raptors defense too, and specifically with Nick Nurse, is that they're not afraid to try defensive schemes, like different different looks on the court given what the uh, their their opponents are giving them. Like I've seen them in two, three zones this year. Um, not as much of a box in one, but you know, they're not afraid to go there if in the past. So obviously most famously in the finals in the NBA. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um so I think that's like when you're on a team that really prioritizes not just man-to-man defense where you could kind of sag off or like play uh, a certain players uh, a certain type of way, but um, but try new things and really get good at it. It really speaks to the quality and the emphasis that they put on this in this in uh, offensive dominated league. You're listening to Sportsnet Today Show and Savannah across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Let's bring in our first guest, Amana Don from Dishes and Dimes, into this conversation as the Raptors do tip off against the Nets down at Scotiabank Arena. In about 15 minutes' time, you can watch that game, of course, on Sportsnet 1. But, Amon, thank you so much for joining us here on Sportsnet Today. Always love catching up with you. And, and uh, we're bringing you into this conversation as we're chatting about the Raptors' defensive intensity. And one thing I said to Sav in the first uh, couple minutes of this chat was, if there was one word I could use to describe the Raptors, it is relentless. Relentless is the is the word I would use. I wonder is that you think that's fair to say? Yeah, as you were just sort of asking that question, I was thinking of what my word would be, and it was tenacious, which I think is, you know, not that like dissimilar than your word. Um, yeah, they're they're relentless. They're tenacious. They. I like, I like relentless. I think that's a great word and it fits because they do never give up. They continue. Part of why the Raptors are as special as they are and part of why they're surprising teams in the way that they have been is because of how switchable they are, how versatile they are, and how everyone who's on the court, anyone who Nick Nurse is going to give minutes to, is going to be playing defense. They are relentless in that they will continue to attack. There's not going to be a mismatch on the court more often than not because Fred Van Vliet can guard up a position as well. It just makes the Raptors so incredibly versatile defensively, and it's a lot of fun to watch. 
Absolutely. Not to mention, like, if I was to throw my word out there, I would say persistent. And I think that's kind of within the ballpark of the, everything that you guys have said, tenacious, relentless, persistent. Uh, and, you know, you see it in the second uh, the second lineup as well that comes onto the floor, specifically Delano Banton, who just brings in all this energy. The moment he touches the floor and, you, you know, he doesn't matter what minutes he's playing, he's going to contribute in his own ways on the defense and offensive end. And, he, you know, he has that length that you're talking about, Amon, and, and, and the versatility as a point guard, something that we actually haven't seen his type of shape and size in this league. He's kind of bringing this new wave of lanky, tall, six foot nine point guard. That's pretty rare if you ask me. But, you know, let's talk about Pascal Siakam. I would love to hear both of your thoughts on this. But, you know, Iman, what are some of the key items that you're looking for in his return, uh, specifically in the adjustment? Because it's hard to to just come in from an injury. And even though he's feeling good, he's been in practices to just blend in in a game scenario and have that same team chemistry. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Honestly, I'm looking for is where his condition is at. I know that he got to practice with the G League, and he, he mentioned just being taller than everybody there, being a little bit longer, that length and that size. It's very hard to find someone that can match up with Pascal Siakam physically. Um, but I'm just looking to see his conditioning and where he's at and how everyone else adjusts and reacts to him. Because one of the – I don't want to say that there's ever a benefit to having an injury, but one of the ways – if we're looking on the bright side of things, one of the benefits has been the emergence of OG Ananobi on the offensive end and what we've been able to get from Gary Trent on the defensive end. A lot of guys have had to step up. Fred Van Vliet has stepped up in such a major role in taking that leadership role on the court, and we know that's going to be a shared duty with Pascal Siakam. So what I'm looking for is how everyone on the court reacts to now the, the highest usage guy on the court coming back in and how that fits in with the roster makeup. So I'm really interested to see everybody else's reaction to Pascal Siakam there. And for Pascal Siakam, specifically the conditioning, because I think we're going to get the all-NBA, all-star level Siakam. It might not happen right away. So I'm waiting on that. I'm not too worried about what Siakam can bring down the line. I'm really interested in seeing how everybody else reacts and adjusts to having a high usage guy back in on the court. Chatting with Amon Adan here, uh, host of the Morning Tip-Off and, of course, co-host of the Dishes and Dimes Raptors podcast. You know, you mentioned Fred Van Vliet there, Amon, and, uh, you know, he's he's assumed the leadership role on this team in uh, in the absence of Kyle Lowry, certainly. And, you know, you still see the uh, Kyle uh, IG stories and he's cheering on his team, his former team. It's it's all very <laughs> heartwarming to see. It's really fun. I know I'm, I'm sure you loved it as a Kyle Lowry, a self-professed Kyle Lowry stan. But uh, I do want to ask you, Amon, about Fred. You know, in, in terms of his his actual game on the court, and, you, you know, you see, him, you see him developing, like, the mid-range a little more. Like, what have you liked about Fred's game so far early on this season that has matured, let's say, when it comes to his actual game on the floor? That mid-ranger is a huge part of his game because if you just remember two seasons ago, that season that got caught off by the bubble, he was arguably the worst mid-range shooter in the league, and now he takes it with with such he has such efficiency there, and he takes it with such confidence, and you know that it's going to hit that floater. Still working on it a little bit, but that's going to be so important for that game because he is small um, and although he plays with a lot of heart and he plays much bigger than he is especially on the defensive end on the offensive end we see it him go down um, and, and try to get a basket right around the rim and he's going to get blocked more often than not so being able to hit that mid-ranger really does open up his game in such a major way so I would say that and also just the heart and the relentlessness with which he plays um, because I think if there's a word to describe Fred Van Vliet it's all of the words that we just used to describe the defense fits in for the entire way that Fred Van Vliet plays. 
Uh, he's incredibly persistent because he will continue to attack the basket. He's incredibly tenacious and he's incredibly relentless as well. Um, and so just seeing that because the Raptors have very much needed a leader on the court in the way that Fred, um, in the way that Kyle Lowry was in years past. And it very much seems like Fred Van Vliet has taken that mantle. And that's been so much fun to watch because that was the next progression in his game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, having spoken to him directly in, in the preseason leading up to it, you know, he was nervous and he was anxious to fill a little bit of that Kyle Lowry's shoes. Uh, but yeah, he was on for the task. So it's great to see that he's really coming into his own floor general captain mentality and really owning the team. I will say this, though, you know, not every leader needs to be the number one scorer. And I think at times he could distribute the ball a little bit more. He has such great options surrounded by him. And I don't think that that was the mentality. I think he probably actually thought that he'd had to take on a bulk of the scoring, especially without Pascal Siakam being in the lineup right away um, in, in, the, in the beginning of the season. But now that he's back, I would love to see, you know, you know, Fred Van Vliet step up when he needs to. Absolutely. You're right. He has a great mid-range shot. Uh, he could shoot the three when he needs to, but um, just really distribute the ball to OG, Pascal, Scotty Barnes. You have such great talent surrounding you. And so, Iman, I would love to like talk a little bit about this centerless lineup now on the court mm -hmm. that Nick Nurse has talked about. You know, how do you think that this team's offense and defense will benefit from this kind of overall versatile style of play? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, and it's one that I'm very excited to see. One of my favorite OG Ananobi games last year was actually against the Denver Nuggets, where he was facing the MVP of the league and one of the best centers in basketball, Nikola Jokic, and he was able, OG's strength, uh, was able to go up against Nikola <laughs> Jokic on the defensive end. I think one thing is just going back to it, the switchability, the versatility that a five-out lineup gives you where you're not having a slower big on the court, having guys that can switch all five positions, especially because, like I pointed out, Fred VanVleet can guard up a position, really does help open up the floor for you and close it on the defensive end in that you're making up ground really quickly. And on the offensive end, having multiple shooters out there on the court. I know that Scotty Barnes is not quite there yet, but I do think that, like, it, it opens up the court so much for you. It allows you to play that fast style of, of basketball that the Raptors want to play, force those turnovers, and start running the other way. I'm really excited for it. It's been what I've been waiting for this entire season. I cannot wait to see Scotty Barnes, Pascal OG Ananobi on the court all together. Um, I can't wait to see it. As soon as that comes up, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm giddy for it already. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially once Pascal, like you guys have been saying, like the kind of conditioning, getting him back into game shape. But once that happens, I'm sure it'll be relatively soon. I, I am, I agree with you guys. I'm really excited to uh, to see the combination of, of defensive lineups that Nick Nurse will put out on the court. Uh, we're chatting with Amon Adon here on Sportsnet today. Show Ali and Savannah Hamilton with you until the end of the Raptors game. Of course, that will get going on Sportsnet One in about five minutes' time. But uh, Amon, I do, I do got to ask a Scotty Barnes question. You know, you're going to. Get asked a Scotty Barnes question, like basically every time you come on this radio station. But um, I do want to ask you, what did you see from him? Because I feel like it was kind of up and down in his, in the 102-101 loss to the Cavs on Friday. Because of course that was his first game. Yeah, that was a that was a really tough game. Got away from them. Um, Evan Mobley is another exciting rookie to watch. I will say, just on on a completely separate tangent there. But um, I, I am I do wonder, like in his first game back. Uh, from the sprained thumb, what did you see from Scotty Barnes, and what do you think will change when we we see the tonight's game in about five minutes? Yeah, I mean, just to say about Evan Mobley, there's no surprise why Evan Mobley yeah. and Scotty Barnes were the two, first two guys on the Saudi jury's list. 
they're both just spectacular and so much fun to watch. Um, and just him feeling a little bit more comfortable in the game. Um, and once again, it, to me, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how he fits alongside Pascal Siakam and what Nick Nurse really does with the lineup. I know Ken Birch is out for tonight. Um, but just moving forward, I'm really interested to see how the roster works, what Nick Nurse decides to do, because there's so much fluidity and there's so much versatility here. And for Scott, for Scotty Barnes, just continue to progress. I, you know, I don't want him forcing the issue too much, um, but he plays with such a bundle of energy, similar to Delano Banton, where it just makes everyone else play at the pace that he is. Um, and I'm just excited to watch him feel comfortable and, and find his rhythm in the game without forcing things too much. Absolutely. I know. Um, Scotty Barnes, like, I, I guess I always get a little uh, anxious, I should say, when I'm thinking about <laughs> rookies on, on a team and they're performing so well. And now that he's coming back from an injury and, you know, like, even though his numbers were actually not that bad in the Cleveland game, but he was missing some bunnies, of course. Um, mm -hmm. Just the expectation and the pressure that we put on uh, those first year players. Evan Mobley, of course, is so exciting to watch himself. And I, I think it's neck and neck right now for rookie of the year. And like, I know it's so early to talk about that, but uh, in terms of who can, who, who will have the edge uh, later on in the season, I think the expectations with Scotty Barnes is, is to still understand that even though he could take a really large role and have a huge impact and potentially even see an all-star game as, as soon as this season, <laughs> potentially, or at least an all-rookie team um, seems like a given. Um, we have to just be careful with like the expectations on, on such a young player. and, and, and MVP, knowing... let's throw it on him right now. Right, <laughs> why not? Yeah, you know, just, just give him the MVP instead. Let's, who, who cares? Let's call it a day. <laughs> um, who do you think will be the odd man out when Pascal gathers more minutes as the game goes on and, and the minutes restrictions uh, go down on Spicy P? That's a great question, something that I've been thinking about since before the season even started. And I didn't realize that Scotty Barnes would be as far along as he has shown to be. And I didn't recognize it. Like, the, the emergence that we've gotten from, you know, OG Ananos on the offensive end, she's obviously not getting his minutes cut. But, like, Gary Trent Jr., just defensively, he's leading the league in deflections right now. He's just a menace on the court. Um, and, and just having... I think, I think Gary Trent is probably still going to start. I think he still has to be in the starting lineup moving forward when you have like a, you know, everyone back only because his shooting matters so much. And so I wonder if that means Scotty moves to the bench. Um, but I don't believe Scotty's minutes are going to be cut at all. So it's something that I've honestly been thinking about since before the season starts. And I think Nick Nurse has always been very fluid with this, which is whoever's performing well that night, whoever's giving the defensive intensity, that's going to be the guy that gets in. I think there are a few guys that are, you know, definite and locked to get minutes this season. And then there are a few guys that really just have to prove it on the court. Um, and and that's going to be Gary Trent just continuing to play up to par defensively. But I also think his shooting just makes him a lock on the court as well. And then when Utah Watanabe comes in, that's a whole other piece. So the Raptors have a really great problem in that they're so incredibly deep. And I don't know if prior to the season starting, everyone felt the same way. Absolutely. And not to mention, you know, Malachi Flynn now seeing some minutes. Uh, he adds a yeah. level of quickness and defense to smaller guards in this league as well. But I would, I'm just curious to, to hear your thoughts on what would you like to see changing or, or improvements in this Raptors team going forward? Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. I think a lot of it has been a wait and see approach for when Pascal Siakam comes in, because I think the team that we saw previously is obviously going to change when your best player comes into the starting lineup and has significant role in minutes. Um, I think you made a really great point about the playmaking of, of Ben Weed. I think 
for part, it became very apparent that the team was missing Kyle Lowry or was missing a point guard. Um, at one point, it seemed like they kept getting steals. They kept turning the ball over, but they couldn't convert those transition opportunities, and that has gotten better, and I think it will continue to get better as guys are more familiar with each other and the guys that they're playing with on the court. But there are moments where you're missing kind of a point guard. You know, like, it's easy, like run a big goal, like, do something simple, and, you know, the ball might get stuck in OGN. And OGN, like, it, it very much... I would say the playmaking will continue to come. I'm very excited to see where it goes from here because I think Fev Embleed is still growing. He's still learning. We think about him as a vet on this team, but he's still incredibly young as well. Um, I'm interested to see a more aggressive OG Ananobi at points because sometimes it feels like he plays a more passive game. So really just watching individual guys and watching their progression because I think all in all, the team looks good. They're getting the stops and they're running out. They're you know number one right now in offensive rebounds. They're number one in in um, their transition defense is also number one in the league right now. And then just continuing to run out their number one in fast break points. So they're doing things really well. Just seeing a continued progression of that, because sometimes you do notice the lack of a point guard on the court. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see how this Raptors lineup develops. And again, a lot of it, like we've been saying this whole season, a lot of it has been, at least to a certain degree, hinging on the return of Pascal Siakam. So that will get going in uh, pretty much now, actually, in a couple of minutes. So, Aman, we do appreciate you hopping on with us prior to this game, and uh, hopefully we can uh, do it again soon. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. There she goes. Aman Adon, co-host of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. And again, don't forget, the uh, Raptors game can be watched on Sportsnet 1. Uh, and we will have Will Lose Raptors Reaction Podcast very shortly after the conclusion of today's game against the Brooklyn Nets down at Scotiabank Arena. But, Sav, you know, you look at this, uh, you look at this lineup, and I, I am really interested to see what more we will get from Scotty Barnes. It just, doesn't it kind of feel like sometimes, because we all know all the storylines and the connections between Masai Ujiri and Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and you know, the, the pipeline from the Giants of Africa program and the way Masai, you know, I think a lot of people hope that their relationship would mean he'd, like, leave the Supermax on the table in, in Milwaukee and come to Toronto. And, of course, he wins the title. He resigns. I, I One thing on, on Giannis, I do think he is a very unique player in that, you know, he, is, he comes from basically nothing. I read that great book by... Uh, Mirren Fader, the Giannis, I think it was like Rise of an Improbable MVP. It's a fantastic book. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you see how he's like wired a little differently. So I think he that he was drafted by the Bucks maybe meant he was probably never going to leave. But at the same time, it does feel like with Masai missing out on getting a Giannis on this team, he basically went out and drafted the closest possible thing he could get to Giannis, which is right now a very raw version of Scotty Barnes. And, I mean, we're also impressed with Scotty Barnes. The guy's, what, 19? Like, I can't imagine what he's going to, 20? So I can't imagine what he's going to look like when he is, what, a couple, a couple of years from now when he puts on a little more weight, muscle. I just, the sky, the sky is the limit for someone like Scotty Barnes. Oh, absolutely. I think you mentioned it right there. First of all, Giannis, loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. And what a great character trait that is to have in a player. So I can appreciate that. Mark, uh, I believe Mark Stein, he reported that the Raptors would have been the second choice, like the, the next best thing that right. he would have gone to. Uh, I know there was heat rumors circling uh, around when, when he was potentially going to gonna leave boss, or, sorry, the, the Bucks. But um, honestly, like his, his level of play, his tenacity, his MV, MVP mentality uh, really shines out for them. And, and you know, good, good for them. But, you know, Masai Ujiri... What an architect he is in terms of building a team. And a lot of Raptors fans, we all heard it. Everybody said Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs. Yeah. Now he's with Orlando. He's not having a bad season at sure. all by, yeah. by any means. He's still 
he's not in the front runners of the rookie of the year conversation like you know Evan Mobley is and Scotty Barnes is but he's in the circling the outside maybe around the Chris Dort uh, mark as well but um you know if we think about you know how how great Scotty Barnes is and just how in depth that the the Raptors coaching staff and, and scouting staff really did uh in terms of finding him and, and and attributing him you know he's out of FSU and and just well coached you could tell he's well disciplined and I mean just given the smile on his face when yeah. he got drafted to Toronto like <laughs> he was excited to play here which is not always the narrative when we think about prior draft picks or even just players getting traded here so the narrative on Toronto being a place that well, I don't know it's Canada it's cold I don't want to come play here is drastically changing and Masai Ujiri made sure of that it's an international market and you know just his like Masai's relationship with the players seems to be a really good one they're open they're honest and he did say in in the like the summer press conference um you know this team is not gonna be that super 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 team although <laughs> now it might be yeah, right. um but he said <laughs> that this team's gonna have a lot of hope and so I think a lot of Raptors fans were expecting a low playoff seed for this for this team, but now I think it's looking like nah, they might secure pretty easily a playoff position the way that they're going. It's funny, like I before the season started, my bold prediction, the night the season started, I was doing a, one of the evening programs on during the weekend, the weekdays rather, on like Wednesday night or something. And my bold prediction was that the Raptors would bypass the play-in tournament entirely and snag the sixth seed. And I remember I actually spoke to Iman, uh, I think it was right before that, like the weekend prior to the season starting. And her bold prediction was uh, that the Raptors would grab like, yeah, the, the, the fifth or sixth seed and play Lowry in the Miami Heat in the first round, which would be tremendous. And you know, it's funny, just as like a c- completely like larger look at the Eastern Conference right now, uh, is it's pretty crazy that one of the other teams that you could potentially see the Raptors match up with, like, let's just say for the sake of this conversation, the Raptors make the playoffs and they bypass the play-in tournament and they're one of the, like like in the, you know, five to seven seeded range if they manage to make it that far, right? Uh, there is a real possibility you could see the Raptors take on Kyle Lowry in the Heat or DeMar DeRozan in the Chicago Bulls, which would be, like, I can't even, the storylines <laughs> write themselves, right? Yep. Absolutely. All the parodies. Oh, my goodness. That would be crazy. And, like, uh, as you were mentioning before, how Kyle Lowry is still supporting his former team. I see Kyle Lowry's mom on Twitter always supporting and cheering for the Raptors still as well. So um, pretty great. It is. It says a lot about the legacy that they've left, but then also the memories that have been created in this franchise and everybody comes back pretty positive. So it would be great to see a DeMar playoffs or a Lowry playoffs. Um, I don't know how I'd feel about it because I feel like that's an extra chip on the shoulder for maybe both of those players to really like come in and own back where they formerly used to play. But uh, it would be, it would be great to see. Uh, before we hit the break here, uh, Sav, I got to ask you um, a lot of our, our colleagues at this radio station, I think would say, and I think a lot of fans would say this too, that they would retire Lowry's Jersey when he's retired, you know, build the statue down in front of legends row, add Lowry as the first Raptor, right? Like all that stuff. I'm here for it. Do you eventually retire DeMar DeRozan's jersey. Like what, what What would you do with DeMar, with, with his status as an all-time Raptor? Because I, I would say most people, and I wonder where you fall on this, most people would say DeMar is a top five Raptor, let's say. Ooh, that is a good question. I think a lot of people would say yes to that. Right. I'm very much edging on the no side. All right. Just because I, I want to think more in depth about 
like just the exact like team accomplishments that have happened out of his generation. And maybe maybe that's not fair to say because Vince Carter, like you know how like that generation is still amazing, but he didn't win a championship here. Right, right. Um, I, I I just I'm just careful with that because then it's like where are you setting the bar in terms of amazing players playing here and who get their jerseys retired? Because you know you could also say in that conversation Kawhi Leonard. Like, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. He came in one year. Technically, should his jersey be retired? Right. One year, won a championship, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm just hesitant with DeMar to give him that, only because I think that the bar has to be a Kyle Lowry level. And that's playing here for multiple years, con- building the franchise, and, and really contributing to a championship team. Okay, so then now that we're getting off on another tangent, but now I'm just curious. Uh, Vince Carter, a lot of people are very, you mentioned him, right? Air yeah. Canada. Did a lot for not just putting the Raptors on the map, but I think instilling a love of basketball in guys who play in the NBA today, right? And yeah. I think, I mean, that's not something you can measure with like a statistic necessarily, but because of the way he left and it was so contentious and he stopped, he refused to dunk until he was traded, all that stuff, right? <laughs> I just, I, just I, like I, some people think you do not under any circumstances, do anything to honor Vince Carter. I'm kind of like on the opposite. I, I, the shoe's on the other foot for me, right? I think that you do, but I'm just, I gotta, I'm now I'm just curious because we, I haven't had that conversation in a while. <laughs> I was going to say like, hey, sometimes beautiful things end in a messy way. <laughs> so maybe that's what it is. Maybe we just celebrate the good that he really brought to the Raptors and he really did put them on the map and, and you know, who can, will ever forget that dunk contest, dunk, Ooh. you know, like half man, half amazing. And like, there's there's no player quite like him that has played for the Toronto Raptors since his since his era. So I personally am willing to look the other way and celebrate his accomplishments and what he did for the foundation of this Raptors fr- uh, franchise, right. rather than the way he left it. Because you know, listen, there's been a lot of messy leaves, uh, like uh, exits from players across the league from their from teams, and they still put respect on their name. Yeah, I think you know what? That's fair. I think that's fair. It'll be it'll be certainly be a contentious issue, probably for the rest of time when it comes to what to do with Vince Carter. But yeah, I just I was just curious. It's always fascinating. I think everyone can agree the first person who gets it done is Kyle Lowry, because he's yes. probably gonna be a Hall of Famer in the in the in the next what, like seven to eight years, I would say, depending on when he retires. But uh it'll be that's gonna be a really fun conversation. But uh, you're listening to Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet Radio Network show and Savannah here until the end of the Raptors game. Don't forget you can watch Raptors Nets on Sportsnet. Sportsnet One right now. We'll hit the break. On the other side, we will chat uh, some Drake. Drake, in case you missed it, post uh, posted it to his, I believe it was both his IG stories and his actual feed about yep. the potential for a WNBA team here in the six. So we'll chat that. Dave McCarthy will join us at the top of the next hour to chat some Toronto Maple Leafs after their big 5-2 win over the Boston Bruins. But you're listening to Sportsnet today. Show and Sav across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590. 590. The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network. Show Ali and Savannah Hamilton here with you until the end of the Raptors game. Raptors lead 7-5 in the first quarter on Sportsnet 1 right now. So you can catch that one. And, of course, after the conclusion 
of this game. Will Lou will jet up from Scotiabank Arena to join us here for Raptors reaction. He'll take your calls and your texts. And of course, I didn't mention this off the top, but if you would like to text us at 59590, you have the text line open. You can text us about anything you want, whether it is uh, musical choices, whether whether it is uh, the Raptors, the Leafs. We'll talk to Dave McCarthy in about 15 minutes about the Leafs' big 5-2 win over the Boston Bruins. Uh, The Top Guns getting going in last night's win, uh, including Austin Matthews scoring a pair of goals. But we'll chat with Dave about the Leafs in the next hour. But right now, Sav, I do want to chat with you, as I mentioned before we took the break, about the WNBA and uh, Drake posting on his Instagram stories about that. that I think it was simply Toronto needs a WNBA team. I think that's like literally all he said. It was like a black background with like the the cursive uh, IG text that just says, Toronto needs a WNBA team. And then uh, I don't know if it was that same day or if it was a little later on, but he posted a picture with Liz Cambage and uh, Cambage, pardon me. And um, I just, I I wonder like I, I, of all, of all cities in North America, certainly in Canada, I would imagine Toronto would be more than able to sustain a WNBA franchise, right? Like I don't think every city can and, not every city can sustain even a regular franchise right in the NBA or the NFL or what have you. But I think Toronto as one of the largest cities in North America. There is no doubt in my mind that this play, this city, the six can support a WNBA team. And I think it would, it would be very successful here. Absolutely. Um, first of all, that intro was so sick. <laughs> Nelly, oh, 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 Nelly, like, let's go. Daniel on the back. There you go. Our operator just crushing it. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the WNBA and Drake, um, you know, he did post on his story in very classy, classy cursive writing. WNBA very used to classy. come to Toronto, very okay. classy. Uh, and you know, everybody lost their mind on Twitter. That was the first thing I saw like the next morning because you know I was trying to get some extra sleep that night, so right. I wasn't staying up to go 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 through <laughs> stories that night. But I don't uh, actually follow Drake on Instagram. I'll be you don't. I'll be completely honest. I don't. Wow. I'm a very. I'm a very. I use Twitter, and I'm a. I'm a bad Instagram user. I freely admit. Okay, Instagram is not my favorite platform. I would actually have to say TikTok is. Oh, TikTok. TikTok wow. and then Now Twitter. I feel really old. I barely I don't, do not even have a TikTok account. <laughs> TikTok is just straight humor. Okay, we got, we're we getting off, okay, completely right. off subject. But um, but yeah, so when I saw it the next morning, uh, just everyone's losing their mind. Like Toronto exploded in terms of like, yes, if, if Drake is saying that we need a WNBA franchise, then why don't we have one now? Uh, which I love that. I love it when there's... Um, advocates and supporters of the WNBA league because um, not necessarily because they need it, but just because it normalizes um, women's sports in the bigger conversation in, in that regard. But he did post with my favorite player in the WNBA, Liz Cambage, mm-hmm. saying that she'd be a great franchise piece. And, and Liz is shameless. She was like, absolutely. I'll be coming up to the Toronto. <laughs> and so selfishly, I'm like, I would love to see that. Yes. As you're saying though, the WNBA could succeed very, very well in Toronto. And they have made um, prior attempts to bring a franchise up here. But I always say that the timing just wasn't right. The dots weren't connected. And to be quite honest uh, with you, like the finances just weren't complete on Toronto's end. But then the WNBA's end, the market was still growing. The market is where it needs to be now for the WNBA. During the pandemic season, they called it the wobble. I know. Right. NBA, the bubble. G League, the gobble. <laughs> On brand. Very creative. The wobble. <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> um, viewership went up by 64% for the WNBA. Um, and so like, Kathy Engelbert did say that, she mentioned a few cities that they're looking at in Toronto was on the list. Philadelphia was another one. Um, so there was a lot of demand for it. Then you look at this 
past season, okay, so we're now out of 2020, thank God, now into 2021, you might think, well, viewership might drop because, well, all the major men's sports are back and, you know, is the viewership going to be the same for the WNBA now that, like, nobody's quite as home as much? And the answer is actually viewership rose again by 51%. The average viewership was 306,000 per game in the WNBA regular season. Right. With some of the peaks being closer to a million. So there's more eyes. And this is according, of course, to Disney's numbers, that being ABC, CBS, ESPN, which, by the way, is only reflective of the states. It's not even reflective of the global game because, you know, I have a twin sister right now playing out in Britain. And one of her teammates was like, I grew up watching the WNBA in Germany. And so the WNBA is a global game. People yeah. watch it across the, the world. And, you know, I think about the, the European countries especially as well. And, like, uh, a lot of times, like, WNBA athletes themselves, they'll go to Europe because that's in Europe, in Australia, in China, in Asia as a whole. You could secure the bag as a woman's basketball player. Sure. So it's actually more of a phenomenon that it hasn't taken off as much as it should have in North America. Um, but we're seeing the numbers increase, as I said. So now that that the numbers are going up. I think the sustainability of the league is increasing. The only thing I will say, and just this is me just being a realist, and this is for any new franchise starting in Toronto, is there's going to be a lot of investment up front. Right. You might not see that investment pay off until a few years. It could be even 10 years down the road. But the more you invest in women's sports, the more you're going to get back in the long-term game. I do want to ask then, I mean, because I, I, I think it's a, it's a good idea for a lot of reasons, um, and I think the investment is just like from a sheer money perspective. I, like you said, it will cost a lot up front, but I do think long term it will provide dividends for whoever is the owner. And I just that's my question. I mean, we had this conversation. I remember, um, you know, during the pandemic with the, some female hockey players for the uh, for the the PWHPA, and a lot of them said that the NHL probably has to be involved when it comes to having like a larger league in Canada specifically, right? And uh, the NBA and the WNBA obviously exist together, right? Like they're they're kind of like, and I know they're not the same entity, but they're, they're intertwined, yes. let's say, right? Yeah. And uh, I just, with that being the case, the NBA would obviously take a, they, they know what goes on in Toronto. They know what goes on in Scotiabank Arena. So I, I don't think that's a really an issue. But I, I wonder, like, would it be important, you think, for, a company like, and I mean, it seems pretty likely, at least in this city, it would probably be MLSC, but maybe Drake is wealthy enough to do it on his own. I, I don't know how wealthy Drake is, but uh, I, I would just, I wonder how important it is to have that corporate backing or if like someone like Drake could maybe have the pull to do something like that on his own. I mean, just looking at the facts and the logic, and I'm not speaking on behalf of MLSC sure, yeah, at all right now. This is just me being Savannah Hamilton. Um they have the resources, and the resources is more than half the battle. You know, having arenas ready to go, having basketball courts, having right. uh, concessions, tickets, like managers ready to go and contribute to a franchise, regardless of the sport. You have to have some sort of resource and, and support around it in order for it to succeed. And so, you know, I think of, um, like, the financial backing of it. Yeah, if hey, Drake, if you want to throw some money at a WNBA <laughs> franchise, that'd be more than welcome. Not to mention, I think, just having the platform itself of having Drake as maybe the what? An, an ambassador to a second team, right? Uh, you know, part owner or something like that. I think that um, automatically will give it a bit more of an edge. But, you know, yes, it will require a significant, um, you know, a significant company that's well-versed in sports in this market to provide that stability for a franchise to come. Um, that's not to say that other 
businesses couldn't jump in and sure, jump yeah. on board. Like, That's hey, fair. there's so many banks in Toronto that are, you know, that could, I'm sure they could support a WNBA franchise and, and really invest in it. But um, that that is all what the, the what the hiccup is, I guess that's that's where the catch is in this regard. So um, it's a matter of who's gonna who's gonna step up and, and really take that initiative. I think it's important for like you mentioned, you mentioned all the numbers when it comes to viewership and so on, right? I just I really think it's important for organizations to capitalize on that kind of momentum to like keep the ball rolling, right? And I mean, the WNBA partnered with I know there's like a small part of it, but they partnered with like NBA Top Shot, for example, and that was a huge phenomenon during the pandemic in the <laughs> early like right before the pandemic started and then continuing on continuing on now as well. And I mean, I, I'm not saying that by itself is going to like move the needle necessarily, but just that the WNBA continues to grow and yeah. has opportunities like that, I think is really cool. And and one other thing I would add as well is the fact that, you know, there's other aspects around the league. So I think about the WNBA hoodie, for example, that was the number one sports selling item on Fanatics website, including any NBA or Jersey sure. in major league sports. Yeah. And like it, it blew up. So, you know, you see, NBA players wearing it. It was a fashion statement for a lot of regular folk. I tried to go get it back in 2020, and right. I had literally no luck. I really? was like, this thing is sold Did out. Did you have to line up somewhere? No, it was, yeah, all, it was all online. Okay. It was sold out online, <laughs> so I couldn't even get it. But then, you know, the WNBA is one of those leagues that's also very forward-thinking, and they've added something called a Commissioner's Cup to their regular season. Okay. So they have an incentivized tournament that's based on some of your uh, regular season games and your winning percentage against certain teams within your division, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, they play it halfway through. So they played it, I believe, just after the Olympic break this past season. And the winner of the Commissioner's Cups gets an additional half million dollars guaranteed to their team. Ooh. And they split it up and, and do whatever they want. But um, that that's being said, like, if you look at, this pad, the reason why the, the WNBA is also growing so significantly is also because of the fact that they have a new collective bargaining agreement, which is allowing for players to be compensated appropriately or a lot more than what they have in the past. Right. Um, and not to mention just the resources around the league has improved. So now they're getting better flights. And because before, like six foot eight, Liz Cambage on Drake's post was cramped into an economy like flight and so now she's experiencing proper treatment in that in that regard like how you treat your players is going to be reflective of how the league can treat the entire uh franchise or or multiple franchises in this case as well i will be really fascinated to see how this story develops because i mean i know it started <laughs> i mean it started before drake's instagram stories but it certainly feels like it's going to continue uh, continue on um, before we hit the break Favorite uh, name here for the poten a potential Toronto WNBA franchise? I tweeted it before, Toronto Huskies. All right, okay. You? Yeah, you know, I like the Huskies. I do like it. A nod to the Toronto Raptors history and a nod to the, the history of basketball in the city. I like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm forward. The Toronto Huskies. Savannah and I are going to make it happen. But that's a, a little bit of a tidbit on what's going on in the WNBA today. Um, we'll take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we will shift our focus to the National Hockey League, specifically the Toronto Maple Leafs, who demolished the Boston Bruins last night down at Scotiabank Arena by a final of 5-2 to two over the hated Boston Bruins. We'll chat with Dave McCarthy from NHL.com coming up straight ahead. But you're listening to Sportsnet Today, show and salve across the Sportsnet radio network. It all happens in real time. Don't be the last to know. Listen here first. Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. 
across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali and Savannah Hamilton with you until the end of the Raptors game. Watch that one on Sportsnet 1 right now. And, of course, after the game, that game is going on down at Scotiabank Arena. Will Lou will make his way up to the Sportsnet studios to do Raptors reaction. He'll take your calls and texts about this uh, Raptors game against the Brooklyn Nets here in the six. We'll chat with Dave McCarthy from NHL.com, Leafs correspondent uh, for NHL.com in a couple of minutes time. But uh, Sav, the uh, Leafs, five, two winners over the Boston Bruins. And I, so I went to go see, I actually went to go see a movie last night uh, right before the Leafs game. Um, first time I've been in a, a very pa- a packed space uh, I would say like in essentially in two years, but um, after I was coming home and I watched part of the game on like, you know, the like Maple Leaf Gardens, they have like the big TV in front of the in front of the stadium. And so Maple Leaf Square, pardon me. And then I went back to my my place, which is right around there. And I watched the rest of the game and I went out with a friend afterwards just to see what it was like outside. We went for a walk and boy, like people were jacked up. People were really excited. And it's funny because I, I want to say if we had had this conversation about the Leafs about a week ago. Uh, I believe the Leafs would have been coming off wins over, let me think here, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, and I think that was an overtime win, and the uh, Detroit Red Wings, right? That was who they played. And then they played three straight against Vegas, Tampa Bay, and then last night against Boston. And I remember going into the Tampa Bay game, people kind of thought, well, you know what, Vegas is beat up. Detroit may have been ahead of them at, the, at that time, but are they really going to stay there? Like, I think there were still a lot of, like, people kind of were, like, holding their breath for something to go wrong. And we're still pretty early in the season, don't get me wrong, but it's just funny that now after, a, I, I would say a pretty impressive showing by Jack Campbell in the win over the uh, Lightning, which, you know, they, they hit to what, John Tavares scored with, like, 40 seconds left, and then and that game went to overtime, they win. And then last night, another impressive showing from Campbell. I just... I think people are starting to relax a little bit. People are starting to exhale a little bit. And I mean, it's always like a little dangerous to do that in Leafs land, right? But I, I, it is exciting, I think, because people, like the panic, the early panic of the early season has started to at least like subside somewhat. I was just going to say, if you're a Leafs fan, do you ever exhale? <laughs> Question mark. Also, now I know where you live, so good to know. I'll see you outside your door some of these days. I'm <laughs> like, oh, show. Didn't know you live right there, around Maple Leaf Square. There are a lot of, a lot of buildings around there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like what a interesting time it is for the Leafs right yeah. now. You're right. Campbell's playing amazing. Um, you know, the the stars of the Leafs, you know, Matthews, uh, Nylander, like they're all they're all stepping up and, and playing the game that they know how to play. You know, earlier in the in the season, Spezza was their go to guy, which is kind of the um, the what the one of the players that was not likely to be, I just should say that I'm trying to stay a little safe with my terminology sure, here, yeah. but, um, <laughs> you know, but now seeing that, you know, Matthews and, and Marner are really contributing again, that the, the, the way that least fans are used to is great to see. Yeah, it is. It, I gotta say, it is really exciting. I know a lot of people were having some, sorry, word like angst, let's yes. say <laughs> around, uh, around Mitch Marner's early season performances. He probably didn't do himself any favors when it came to the way he talked to the media after the end of last season, the, the, the loss in the playoffs against the Habs and then how he addressed the media. Like there are some really bad losses and, you know, he'd say things like, you know, you, you know, we can't change course. We've got to stay the course. And I, I would say with Mitch Marner, he has 
Like he he seemed to take take it upon himself more like harder than anyone else on the roster. And now that he is now that things are clicking for the top line, I think he has started like everyone has relaxed a little bit player wise. And I think it's you're seeing it now when it comes to uh, the play of the Leafs. Absolutely. And when teams are able to kind of take that step back and really uh, you know slow the game down for themselves, they are able to. Um, contribute more effectively because the pressure is not just on one single guy. It's on the collective team as a whole. And as you mentioned that Boston win against a traditional rival, like that really spoke volumes to like, no, this is the, this is the Leafs. This is how the Leafs play. This is how they own Scotiabank arena. Um, you know, and, and on their win streak, like it's just exciting to see that this is the team that, that will, potentially succeed this season but like once again let's not get our hopes up too high yeah so yeah. that's why we brought in an expert am i right <laughs> that's right dave mccarthy leafs correspondent for nhl.com let's bring him into this conversation you know one thing we were talking about dave before we brought you on here was uh the play like during this win streak it has been a lot of fun to watch especially this past week vegas tampa bay boston uh wins over all three teams do you think like if you had to pick an mvp do you think it's it might be fair to say the mvp is simple simply jack campbell well, it's a good question, and just sort of to piggyback off of something that Savannah said there a moment ago, uh, Sheldon Keith put it perfectly last night after the game. As important as it was to tune out the noise 10 days ago when the sky was falling and everything was veering off the rails, it's equally as important right now to tune out that noise when they're flying high and putting statues outside of the arena. So that's that's the nature of playing in Toronto. Matthews as well said, look, you know, highs are high, lows are low here, but credit to them, they've stayed the course. And, you know, to your point, show, I think Jack Campbell, man, if he continues to play uh, this level of net for the next four or five or six weeks, I think he's going to make it really difficult for Billy Guerin not to include him on Team USA for the Olympics, quite honestly. I mean, the way he's played right now, if you look at the other uh, netminders in the mix, Connor Hellebuck, Satcher Demko, and maybe John Gibson out there in Anaheim, I think three are going to make it. Um, Jack Campbell's not last on that list. In fact, I think he might be pretty darn close to first on that list right now. Hellebuck might have it by virtue of of tenure uh, or whatever you want to call it, but I think Campbell's right there. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say he's been the MVP through the first, what have we played, 11 games? Because by and large, one, he's been the guy carrying the mail because Peter Morazic just quite frankly has been unavailable for most of the year. But two, when you, when you watch him play, like I find the eye test to be really good for goalies because you, like we, we can all watch a game and you just know when a shot gets directed on net, you know what your internal reaction is. Are you like, ah, or are you like, yeah, calm as a cucumber sitting in a rocking chair. I don't know if that's an analogy, but we'll make it work. Um, and, and that's the way I feel when I watch Jack. It's just like the, the shot's coming, but it's just not going in the net the way he's playing right now. So I, I agree. I think he's, he's pretty darn close to the MVP, yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun watching him play, and I mean, you look no further than uh, this past not yesterday, but the the game before against Tampa Bay. What the Leafs don't score until what a minute left in the game or thereabouts, and lar- that was in large part due to Jack Campbell's play. Um, I do want to ask you, Dave. You know, we mentioned. 
Campbell's playing so well might make it hard for him to be left off the Team USA Olympic roster. I mean, is he also making it hard to... He's going to be the, the most prominent free agent, I would think, this coming offseason. I mean, we're going to have the contract talk a lot, but, you know, a lot of people are talking, you know, will he get tandem money? Does he get the Mrazic contract? Well, he's certainly making it harder to uh, to support that argument, I would say. Oh, well, look, I mean, I see what they're trying to do with the tandem thing. Um, but at the end of the day, even in tandems, you still know who your number one guy is, right? Like, it, it's good to have a, a competent 1B goalie um, and not necessarily a backup because you don't want your starter playing 70, 75 games. It's too much. Even 60, 65 games often too much. Um, you want your starter playing in the neighborhood of 52, 3, maybe 55 games, and the other guy plays 30 to 35. Uh, but look at some of the tandems that have been successful uh, over the last number of years. And I think the, the one that comes immediately to mind was, was Boston over the last little while. Sure, Tuca and Yara Halak had split the duties, but come game one of the playoffs, I mean, we know who's starting, right? It's Tuca. So I think that's what you're kind of hoping that plays out here in Toronto is that, um, sure, you have a guy that can take a good chunk of games off Jack's uh, portfolio during the regular season, but come game one, you want one of them to emerge as the guy that everybody knows is going to be between the pipes because the old adage in football, right, when you tell me you got two starting quarterbacks, what you're really telling me is you don't have any. I think it's the same thing with goaltending. So um, the way Campbell's played, he has it's not it's more than just the start of this season. It's more than just uh, a shortened season last year. It's now carried over into multiple seasons for an extended period of time. And I think he's put himself in a really good position to command a contract, which is good for him, but but bad for the Maple Leafs, who have got to scrounge pennies right now under the salary cap. And if he continues this the rest of the year. Um, you look at the deal that Linus Allmark got from the Bruins um, as a free agent last year. Would he get five times five? Um, you know, Jack is maybe a little bit older. He's going to turn 30 in January. But I could see him getting the Cal Peterson deal in L.A. at, at five million times three years. Uh, certainly, that would be the bare minimum of term. But somewhere in the five million over three, four, or five years, I think is a deal that uh, I understand he'd be looking for. And uh, I think would be well within reason for him to ask for it. You know, you mentioned uh, just his age as well as his performance and how well he's playing right now. And uh, he's certainly playing at uh, a level that I feel like we haven't seen in maybe a little bit. But um, I guess my concern is is in the fact that it, can he maintain this through this NHL condensed season? Because I worry about the athletes, uh, you know, potential wear and tear or just overusage. And I know Sheldon Keith touched on it a little bit uh, in the postgame presser, uh, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, it is a concern now, especially that uh, Peter Morazic is unavailable again for four weeks. So the schedule doesn't set up too, too badly. They don't have a ton of back-to-backs, but you're right, Savannah. Like, you don't want the guy to be worn out in in November, especially for a guy that spent a good bulk of last year fighting it to try to get get healthy again, and a guy that's never played a significant amount of games during the regular season, so it is a concern. Um, it is a concern as well, given the fact, as you said, and quite rightly, that it's a, a compacted 
scheduling. I feel like every year it's compacted for one way or another, whether it's a shortened season trying to jam in as many games or now there's an Olympic year. Like I think the schedule just is compact every year, it seems, but um, it, it is uh, a concern and it'll be interesting to see how the Leafs approach this. If they you know, put themselves in a good position, continue to string some W's together here, maybe you can give Joseph Wall a look, um, like a legitimate look, and see if you can turn to him for a few games here or there. He's a guy that's been in the organization a long, long time, but has never really gotten uh, a sniff. You, you also have to see what you have in, in Joe Wall, right? So um, if, if they're in a comfortable enough spot, maybe they can turn to him and see if, if he can be a guy that can take some minutes off of, of Jack before Peter gets back. Uh, but it, it is something because it's certainly not gone according to plan here in October and November, the tandem that they had put together in their minds in the off season. It's been pretty well the Jack Campbell show. He's been playing well, yeah, but absolutely. you know, they, you don't want to wear them out, um, you know, before Christmas either. Absolutely. And, and I think about like, yeah, like low management, but then also I would love to see you all and you got to get them the, those reps as well and, get used to just being on a game time ice uh, scenario but on the coaching end just before we dive into other aspects of the Leafs performance you know I'm always curious to see what's not seen and that's on the coaching end have you seen anything that's different that Sheldon Keefe is doing from the first few games of the season to now this five great game win streak uh, hmm, interesting question well yeah I mean I, I think what would jump to mind is that he shuffled the deck um I get during the Chicago game, right? When, when, when they put Nylander with Matthews and they move bunting up and that line seems to have worked well. And uh, they assembled a Tavares Marner Kerfoot line. Like I was always of the mind that Marner should be playing with Tavares to begin with. I never quite understood why. And maybe it was a little bit of capitulation that clearly Marner and Matthews wanted to play together. And, and that's nice, but I don't think that's the best compliment for, for the team. And Matthews is good enough where he'll create his own looks. And um, with a guy like Nylander, um, they'll be good enough together where they'll each create their own looks or looks for the other guy. I think John Tavares, this to take nothing away from John, but I think he's at the point in his career, and especially the way his game is too. Like he's not a fly through the neutral zone with a puck kind of guy the way um, Willie or Austin is he's more of a, a grind it along the boards, get the puck out, get it to somebody and, and then get himself to the front of the net where he finds the soft spot. Um, then he can either jam away at a rebound or, or find that soft spot for one timer. And I think you need a facilitator with John. Um, and that's, that's Mitch Marner. Um, additionally, they're both, I would think, you know, Matthews is, is a really good player defensively as well, but, but Tavares and Marner are both very conscious defensive forwards. And we saw it on, uh, on Saturday night, they threw the matchup against the Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak line. So it kind of unencumbers Matthews and Nylander from a defensive uh, standpoint to play in even more offensive situations. So I think that's a really good fit. And quite frankly, I hope Sheldon Keith keeps it like that. Uh, moving forward. And then, you know, he, he shuffled it up on the back end as well. I think they got kind of stale in the blue line um, w with what they had. And um, I think it needed a change. And, and what he's done with uh, Dermot and Riley and Brody and Muzzin as sort of the shutdown pairing has worked 
tremendously well. And Rasmus Sandin and, and Timothy Lilligren, who I think has played uh, like if you're Johnson Hall right now, I just don't see a path back into the lineup the way uh, Lilligren's playing. That's worked out really well. So I don't think tactically anything too 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 different, Savannah. But I think the way he's uh, deployed the lineup uh, differently during this winning streak. Um, has really worked well to their advantage. And uh, I give Sheldon a lot of credit for that because it was clearly stale. He found a recipe that's working now, and now he's sticking with it, which is also good to see. Chatting with Dave McCarthy, Leafs correspondent for NHL.com, also host uh, with Sirius XM NHL Radio. You know, Dave, I do want to ask, you mentioned uh, Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Liljegren. I just, you uh, you had tweeted that you, you liked what you saw from Liljegren. And when it comes to Sandin, I've also really liked what he has been doing when the puck is on his stick, right? He makes like really smart passes. He possesses it really well. Um, he, you just don't often see him do, you know, like for lack of a better term, dumb things with the puck when he has it. And that's something you don't often see from a young defenseman, maybe especially considering that defensemen do often take a little longer to develop than, than other positions in the NHL. Yeah, uh, I still think there's some room for growth. Sure, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In, in, and I'm not saying you're saying there isn't. Um, at all, I, I I have seen some areas where he have he has made some decisions that I don't think are the best, but that's okay. It hasn't really bit them too badly. Uh, like I'll agree with you. You see all kinds of potential, and you see plays that he makes where you you just you get all worked up because you're like, oh man, if if this can continue, then we got a player here. Um, but I think in in the position he's in on that third pairing. Uh, I think that's the appropriate role for him right now. I think about the way Morgan Riley was brought along early in his career by Mike Babcock. Like they sort of built onto his game year over year and they never put him in a position where he was in over his head. And I think Rasmus Sandin under Sheldon Keefe is under a, a similar trajectory. So that that's good. And look, Timothy Lilligren, it's hard to believe he's been in the organization as long as he has. But honestly, like I, I tweeted, as you said last night, for the first time, um, he looks to me to be a really serviceable NHL player. And I, some people laugh, like, oh, serviceable is the best you can do? Well, like, yeah, because um, he's not, he's not like uh, Drew Doughty early in his career or Kale McCarr or anything like that, but he's a guy that has been able to take on some legit minutes. Um, he's not making bad decisions. He looks under control when he's out there right now. And um, he looks like a guy that can play a regular shift in the National League. And, uh, you know, that is one of the issues that the Leafs dramatically uh, needed some help in, which is to say they needed a guy to sort of come off the mat at low money that can play above his salary. And right now that's exactly what Lilligren is doing. And suddenly you got some options now on the blue line at low money and he's he's really he, he's come forward this year and and i like the way he's played and like i said earlier if i'm justin hall I, unless somebody gets hurt i just don't see a way into the lineup at the moment because lilligren's played um leaps and bounds better than what justin hall had shown through the first six or seven games of the year yeah right i mean lilligren may not ever be a, a miro heiskanen or a quinn hughes or something but he has been like you said he has been pretty good for what we have seen so far and i uh, like uh, room for improvement certainly for both him um and rasmus sandin you mentioned morgan riley of course and uh, it's been a little couple you know about a week or so since he got that uh, the new contract left some money on the table to stay here do you think when when we get to the off season maybe a better way of saying this dave might be who do you think is the guy they might move to create more cap space i feel like it might be 
Kerfoot at this point, but I mean, you never know. They they get they can get creative with the county. I just I'm curious where you fall on the contract statuses now that Riley has been signed long term. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, what they need to do is find 1.3 million for Morgan Riley because he's making five this year. Uh, our our good friend Philip Kessel, we remember him, right? right? Uh, his 1.2 is coming off the books finally this year. Um, so he gets that 1.2, and then they need to find 1.3 more. So um, at this point, I think it's a little early to say. Uh, I mean, my hope would be to find a way to divest themselves of Nick Ritchie's contract, because I think you can get a heck of a lot more um, for $2.5 million than you get for, for Nick Ritchie. I just, he's been okay on that fourth line, but two and a half is, is rich and man. Oh man, they might need that money back. So I like Kerfoot right now. I think he's, he's found a nice role on that Tavares uh, Marner line. Uh, but again, that might just be a luxury they, they cannot afford. Um, so, you know, we'll see. They won't need to find as much money as, as you might think is my point with Morgan Riley. They'll need to find a few bucks. The, 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 the real concern is how are they going to afford to pay Jack Campbell? That to me is where they're probably going to need to find like probably three and a half million. And if you look at uh, another 1.3, well, the, you know, call it two, you know, there's essentially five, five and a half. Well, what does that add up as? Well, that's basically Nick Ritchie and, and, um, and Alex Kerfoot. And that's not even talking about Kev who uh, will need uh, a contract. Um, you know, Travis Dermott, I believe he signed just a one-year deal. So he may, so they're, they're going to need to get creative again, but I think that's more a conversation for, for next summer. Um, at this point, they got to continue to hope that the guys that they have down the lineup uh, continue to, to, to plug away. And look, I mean, I, I think, the reason for the turnaround by and large, and it might've been your last question is, is look, the big boys are, are chugging now. Yeah. Their last 13 goals have been scored by the big four. And it's going to be interesting to see, to track this sort of this year. The, there's two types of teams, in the NHL, there's teams with uh, that are top heavy built with two or three or maybe four like elite level guys. And then it really thins out down the line because they command so much of the salary cap. There's other teams like St. Louis, and I think even Florida this year and the Islanders that, I mean, Florida's in a good spot because Barkov's deal doesn't kick. He's an elite level player, but he's being paid like a very good player. My point is they've got a bunch of very good players throughout their lineup because no one's commanding elite level money. And it's like, okay, what, what strategy will work here? Is it the, the teams that are top heavy with the elites or is it the teams with balance, which just really good players throughout their lineup? Toronto is an elite team, obviously, and which is to say, if the big four aren't going, the Leafs have no chance, as we saw earlier on in the year. Once the big boys got rolling, the Leafs as a whole have gotten rolling. Exactly, yeah. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and William Nylander, as Dave said, combining for the last 13 straight goals as Toronto beat the Boston Bruins last night, 5-2 to two down at Scotiabank Arena. But we're chatting with Dave McCarthy, Leafs correspondent for NHL.com. Dave, always appreciate you taking some time out of your Sunday afternoon. Uh, good to talk to you, my friend, and hopefully we can do it again soon later in the season. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. There he goes. Dave McCarthy, Leafs correspondent for NHL.com. Yeah, you know, Savannah, I feel like when it comes to the Leafs, you and I kind of talked about like tempering expectation off the top, right? And before we, before we brought Dave on, and I just feel like 
I remember having this conversation with Gord Stellick, who is um, one of the co-hosts of Leafs Nation pre and post game um, here on the fan. And I was chatting with Gord and we were talking about all these different things. And in the conversation, Gord was like, look, show. It doesn't almost doesn't really matter what happens in the regular season. Like games, as long as everyone stays relatively healthy, and I mean the Mrazic thing, you're always you're always gonna deal with attrition throughout the entire season, no matter what sport you play. It's not just hockey, certainly, right? But uh games one through eighty-two matter in the sense that the Leafs have to get into the playoffs. If they don't, we're having a whole other series of conversations at the end of the season about Keith and Dubas and Shanahan and all sorts of stuff, right? But if the Leafs make the playoffs, it almost like doesn't matter what happens in the regular season, right? Like you want to see them do well enough that you can have some level of confidence, some degree of confidence going into, I don't know, like if they're playing the Lightning or the Bruins or one of the wild card teams in the first round of the playoffs. But I mean, it only really matters what happens in games 83 and onwards, essentially, when it comes to the Leafs, right? Like it's funny to compare them to Toronto Raptors. The Raptors, I almost feel like because of the lack of expectations at the beginning of the year are almost like, playing with someone like playing with house money right like if they if they don't make the playoffs everyone will be like ah you know what that was an exciting season but there's always next year because this is a young team the cores will still sign for the foreseeable future they can make runs at it and Masai Ujiri is going to continue doing his the Masai Ujiri things and, and and make the team better right whereas the Leafs I feel like were that team I want to say it was in 2016 or 2017 mm-hmm. when they lost to the Capitals in the first round of the playoffs and like all of those games were one goal games a bunch of them were in overtime so you know a couple of puck bounces the other way maybe Ovechkin and company get set home and the Leafs are going on to the second round right so they lost that series and everyone was having that same conversation right everyone was saying oh well you know what the rebuild is ahead of schedule. Austin Matthews is a rookie. Mitch Marner is a rookie. And here we are, like, what, five-ish years later, and we're kind of still at that same point. And I think that's why it doesn't really matter what happens in the regular season. Everybody, you, myself, JR, Danielle, all of our, all the fans, all the listeners, anyone who is any, even the tiniest bit invested in the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're just waiting to see who they play and how they respond in the first round of the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's more than just getting to the playoffs at this point. It's getting past the first round of the playoffs. That yeah. really makes a difference because it's not, you're right. It, it, we were in rebuild mode, what, back in 2016 for the Toronto Maple Leafs um, with the young t- players and talent. And I was lucky enough to like really follow the Toronto Marlies at the time when Sheldon Keefe was right. a coach down there as yeah. well. And so he really developed this these guys, this team. So it's almost like, you know, like how much longer do you wait until you need to see results? You need to make moves and it's a hard place to fight for any franchise to really be in because the pieces are there and we've always said that um I've always said as well that it's so hard to be an I call it an overdog you know how there's an underdog <laughs> right. I call it the overdog right then because the expectation of performance is there and now the Leafs obviously haven't met expectations in the past couple of years um well longer than that yeah <laughs> But um, longer than either of us have uh, been alive, probably. Exactly. I'm trying. I'm trying to be nice. Okay. This is my first time on the on the Sportsnet today. Um, but you know that being said, it, it, it's how much of a leash do you give the team before real moves need to be made? And you know, personally, like I love the talent all that is on the ice, and I think they're really showing these past five games as well, just how good they really can be. But you're right. The playoffs is the biggest test, and you can only make the first round for so long before real real organizational or not even just organization but what's on the ice changes i I honestly think it like it doesn't matter what happens now in the first round like if it's not a win even i I think the only way 
things stay the same is if it's like a seven game series and you lose on a fluky one goal play in the first right? round in the first round yeah like, if, if, like if that i think that's the only way that dubis is back i would really? I, maybe even shanahan right i mean i know keith designed that extension but i mean like if like if they if they lose in six games i don't think it matters if they lose in any or less six or less games i don't think it matters i think heads will roll right but i think uh if Look, if it's if it's something that it's so like you get goalied or something that's so out of their control and you lose, then like you think we can at least have that conversation. But I I think uh, I mean we saw at the beginning of the season people were like people were disconnected from the Leafs, right? Like the Leafs are by far, and the Raptors are coming up, I think, and I think it, I think demographics, changing demographics of the city will uh, make the Raptors, generally speaking, more popular. And, and that we saw that with the championship, and it's going to continue going as the city changes, right? But, like, by and large, Toronto right now is still, like, Leafs land, right? And I think, it, like, we saw how many million people with the Toronto Rap to try the Raptors championship, right? I don't even want to imagine what it would be like if the Leafs somehow won a Stanley Cup. It would be chaos in the city, right? In a, in, a, in a good way, I think. I always wondered that, actually. That's a good question, because I've played with that that topic in my head of would a Leafs potential parade and like, like listen, no, wow, that sounds like foreign words in my mouth right now, but would a potential championship and parade get the city going crazy the way that the Raptors did? And you're right. There's so much change in demographics. This is not the same city it was back in the sixties. Sure. So yeah. oh, like, man. that's why I wonder would it pull out? I think it, it could. I think there could be a lot of, I think uh, what you are going to get in a Leafs parade versus the Raptors parade is a lot of the older generations oh, yeah. coming and bringing their families sure. out to this parade versus the Raptors who was like, okay, free for all. Everybody come down, fly from Vancouver to come to, to the Raptors parade. I think you would get a lot of fans from, uh, like from, from outside of the GTA, like people who live in like small town, Ontario, who, yeah. listen, who, who are, who are, like diehard Leafs fans, right? I think you'd get a lot of those people coming to the city, which is why I think you'd see, like it, it would look a lot different, that's for sure. But I, I just I just wonder when it comes to the Leafs, like you look at the, like they didn't sell the home opener out and things have changed. And maybe now that the team's on a bit of a roll, it'll it'll change a little bit further down at, at Scotiabank Arena. But I just, my, I just wonder out loud that I, we see on the text line sometimes and phone calls and different the different shows in the station, a lot of people really excited on one hand and then some people saying, you know what, I haven't watched the team since they flamed out against the Habs in the playoffs, right? And I think a lot of people feel that way, and we're all, everyone is just waiting for the playoffs to like feel something again, I guess, when it comes to their passion for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But it's an, it'll be an interesting conversation for sure, because I think the Leafs are are still a, a, a powerful uh, grip on people's emotions, let's say, when it comes to the city of Toronto. And like one last thing to throw into that that factor as well is the fact that, you know, the Toronto Raptors are the only NBA franchise in Canada. Sure. And so you're going to have different demographics, different viewership from, from across Canada versus the Leafs. There's many NHL franchises right. across Canada. So that could be a differing factor in terms of the turnout for a potential Leafs parade, which, by the way, if that ever happened, I, I know I would come. Oh, my God, of course. <laughs> I would totally be rocking the, the blue and white. <laughs> oh, man, that would be a lot of fun. Well, the, the Leafs' uh, next game is tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. at Scotiabank Arena against the Los Angeles Kings. So, Hopefully they can keep it rolling against Los Angeles. We'll be making their visit to town. But uh, right now we're going to step aside and we'll, we'll chat some Leafs, I'm sure, a little later on in the program. But right now, uh, coming up next, pardon me, we'll chat with June Lee, staff writer from ESPN. We'll chat the uh, World Series that was, wrap up on the MLB season. And maybe we'll get to some Blue Jays questions with June as well, as it's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, of course, uh, Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray, two of the top free agents, not just for the Blue Jays, but on the entire open market. So we'll chat with June about MLB and the Blue Jays coming up straight ahead. You're listening to Sportsnet today.
Michelle Alley and Savannah Hamilton with you until the end of the Raptors game across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Mm, uh. Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network show and Sav with you until the end of the Raptors game again at which point Will Lou will take over the airwaves the dulcet tones of William Lou will have Raptors reaction uh, he'll take your calls and your texts um, so you can always send those in now if you want to preload them do whatever you like but uh, Will Lou will be on following us but very pleased right now to uh, shift our focus to Major League Baseball chat about the World Series that was maybe get to some Blue Jays questions as well with June Lee staff writer from ESPN and uh, June always appreciate uh, getting to catch up with you hope you're getting some uh, much deserved downtime you know a little I'm sure ESPN keeping you busy I'm sure after the the uh, World Series I do want to ask you when you look back on the World Series, Braves winning over the Astros in six games. What will be the thing you remember the most? Like, if in five years, if we're you and I are having a conversation, what will be the thing you remember about this World Series? I think it's the reminder that having the best roster on paper, the record that you have in the regular season, it almost doesn't matter when it comes to the baseball postseason because it's almost always about teams getting hot at the right time and uh, and and kind of momentum hitting at a, at a certain moment. So. Uh, you know, this Atlanta Braves team, I think, was incredibly impressive in how they were able to put things together at the end of the season, especially with the depth that they had on this roster and kind of capitalizing on um, opportunities within the postseason when other teams were struggling, especially the Dodgers and, and other teams that don't really want to work the season. But um, I think it's just a reminder, again, that like unlike you know sometimes the football playoffs or, or the basketball playoffs, baseball is really, really unpredictable when it comes to uh, what's going to happen at the end of the season. Yeah, the variance, I guess, when it comes to whatever goes on in the postseason is so much. I definitely agree that it's like more than as much as I love those other sports. Definitely like seems like in, in a single game, you know, an errant pitch or a bullpen decision or someone getting the quick hook or something like that can definitely have the, the butterfly effect, I guess, not just for the game, but for the entire series. And, you know, you mentioned the, the decisions that the Braves made. They were deep. They had a lot of guys get hot at the right time. Eddie Rosario looked like he was living on another planet at times. Adam Duvall, certainly Jorge Soler, who was the eventual World Series MVP. I do want to ask you, it's, this is a hot topic here in the city of Toronto specifically. Where do you fall on the argument that, you know, like the Alex Anthopoulos versus Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins argument, right? It's, it's like, obviously Atlanta won the World Series, so Anthopoulos much deserves all the praise he is getting. But I would still say the Blue Jays are in a pretty good place. And I feel, I just feel like, I find it hard to look at the other side and say, well, if AA had stayed here, he would have won the World Series because it's such different scenarios, if you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's, it's always easy to look at someone like Alex Anthopoulos when he was the, you know, the person running the baseball operations department in Toronto and, and kind of think about, you know, what would have happened if he had stayed here? But I think Mark Shapiro has done a really good job in building up the foundation of this team. I think they're set up to be successful for uh, quite a long time with the foundation that they have with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and, and Bo Bichette. Uh, and, you know, Lourdes Goriel and, um, you know, signing Ryu to be kind of the rotation the foundation. And, and uh, you know, they made a lot of really good moves last offseason um, where they're able to kind of maximize on some undervalued players between Robbie Ray and Mark Simeon. Yeah, I, I think that that is important to prove that you can do on a year-to-year basis. So it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with Simeon uh, and Ray and how the Blue Jays will, you know, react to whatever decisions that those players make in terms of their futures in, in, in baseball. 
but it, it's one of those things where I, I think it's kind of impossible to kind of look through a, a parallel universe where uh, Alex Anthopoulos is still running the Blue Jays and, and imagined or assumed that he would be winning the World Series because so many things had to go right for this land team uh, to win the World Series because I mean, when Ronald Acuna went down, I don't think anyone would have expected that this team would have been lifting the, the Commissioner's Trophy at the end of October. You know, you mentioned the two players, Simeon and Robbie Ray. Between the two in this free agency, who should the Jays be focusing on more? I think for the long term, I would prefer Marcus Simeon as a player just because he has a proven track record of being able to play up to this elite level on a year-to-year basis. And, you know, as good as Robbie Ray was this year, um, he is much, he has career-wise been much more volatile, and I've always thought that in baseball, especially more so than any other sport, kind of the, your, your past production is always emblematic of, uh, or the, the trends of your past production are often emblematic of, of your future production. Robbie Ray has had seasons in the past where he's looked like one of the better pitchers in, uh, in baseball, um, but has obviously kind of fluctuated up and down. And Marcus Simeon's been a player who, other than the exception of the 2020 season where he did not look great and was struggling a lot, um, has has proven to be one of the best shortstop second baseman uh, in baseball over the course of the last five years. If you just look at the, the wins above replacement rankings on West West Lake Baseball Reference or Fangraphs. So um, I would prefer Simeon in the long term because I think there's more of a guarantee there that he's going to be stable over the course of a long-term contract, which uh, both of these guys are definitely going to be demanding on the free agent market this offseason. Chatting with June Lee, staff writer from ESPN. I just, you know, when it comes to Marcus Simeon too, June, I just, I look at the fact that he is from the West Coast and he spent most of his career in Oakland. And I just wonder, like, I think he's obviously going to be open to a lot of different things. Uh, I think most players are, but I just, I am wondering if, if maybe a t- like Simeon to a team, like maybe if not the Dodgers, maybe like the Giants, for example, maybe uh, the, maybe the Padres. I just feel like him going back to the West Coast, if it's not the Oakland Athletics and it seems pretty unlikely that'll be the case, but that just seems like too much it makes too much sense almost uh, i mean we'll see what happens because there's always teams who are you know there's the mystery team that i think always pops up during free agency um there's been reports in the last couple of days that the red Sox are uh going to be a, a kind of a, a dark horse in the shortstop market as well and i know that i've heard from my own sources that xander bogarts is, is potentially willing to move over to third base or second base down mm-hmm. the line in the future he's got an opt-out coming out in 2022 as well um and that's from me, you know, being an East Coast person who uh, covers the Red Sox for ESPN.com. But, um, you know, I, I think that for someone like someone with Simeon who's going to be cashing in, I think, in a big way, probably the biggest contract of his career this offseason, um, it's probably going to be prudent for uh, him to kind of look at all the options out on the market. That being said, I think like a team like the Giants makes a lot of sense where you have a lot of pieces that kind of came together this year. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not those pieces put up those similar performances next year. Um, but I think the Giants do have a good foundation with Farhan Zaidi and what they've done there um, where a guy like Marcus Simeon can be a, a piece that kind of pushes things towards the right direction and, and having a, a foundation of sustainable success for a baseball team. Yeah, Farhan Zaidi, probably the uh, the executive of the year, right? But I, I, I will be intrigued to see uh, what the Giants do when it comes to their spending on the free agent market. I do believe it's going to be, I mean, like you said, the Red Sox would be involved, the Yankees could be involved, I'm sure. But um, I'm curious, when it comes to the rest of the free agents, like who do you think is going to be the, the top free agent on the market? Do you think it probably will be Carlos Correa, or are you looking elsewhere? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the two guys that I'm most interested in seeing is, are Carlos Correa and, and Corey Seager. Um, I think Correa um, just has a better history of being healthy and a kind of more offensive consistency than a guy like Corey Seager does. I think they're, 
you know, it's, it's, I, I, th- I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens there because he's going to kind of set up the shortstop market for a guy like Seager and, and in guys, you know, moving forward like Xander Bogarts next year when, when I, I believe he's going to opt out barring any sort of massive injury. Um, I think that is going to be kind of the most important domino to fall. I'm also interested to see what happens to Max Scherzer and what kind of deal he gets because, you know, he, he obviously got traded this season this year and was awesome for the Dodgers once he got there, um, is on the older side coming off a big contract. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of the balance between long-term stability versus uh, annual salary that he's going to demand on the open market as well. You know, June, also going back to the Jays a little bit here, you know, what kind of scenarios or fallback fall plans, if you will, um, would happen if I'm, just, I'm knocking on wood here, if Marcus uh, Seaman as well as pitcher Robbie Ray don't sign back? Uh, I mean, I think they're going to have to probably take a similar approach to what they did last offseason and going for uh, kind of value signings and hoping that they kind of boom or bust. I think that's something that, you know, every good team kind of, especially championship teams, have to take a risk on is, is going after a couple of guys who uh, maybe had down years and get them on kind of one-year prove-it deals and, and uh, see if they can they can exceed kind of the value that they provide um, compared to their contract. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be tougher for the for, for the Jays to commit to both Simeon and Robbie Ray moving forward, just given the salary demands that they're going to have, and especially just considering the fact that, uh, you know, you're going to want to have financial flexibility for whenever Bobby Bichette and uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, and those guys come up on big deals, and they're obviously going to demand uh, really, really big contracts given their, their talent and their production so far early in their career. So um, I think they're going to have to find a best strike of balance between you know, going for it now and also maintaining enough financial flexibility to make, make sure that they're creating a foundation for sustainable su- success moving forward as well. Chatting with June Lee here, staff writer from ESPN. I just got a couple more here for you, June, before we let you go. Um, rotation going to look like if Robbie Ray doesn't resign, Jose Barrios, Yunjin Ryu, Alec Manoa is the top three. A guy who I think is at the top of people's minds for what his role will look like this coming season is Nate Pearson. And, of course, you know, he had some struggles. He was injured. He went back down to the minors, came back up, tinkered with his grip, tinkered with the, the pitch mechanics. And I, he said on this station, um, I think it was r- either right after the season ended or right before the season ended, but either way, um, he basically said that he will do anything it takes to stay up in the majors, which I think a lot of people are really excited to hear. He has a great work ethic by all, by all accounts. Um, do you think he would be better suited as a reliever to come out of the bullpen, or do you think they might try him as a starter considering the, the pedigree, let's say, that Nate Pearson had as a prospect? I think, especially with guys like Pearson, when you have that prospect pedigree, you're almost going to get every single shot possible um, to maximize that talent. I think a guy like Robbie Ray is kind of emblematic of that, and that he was a guy who had a, who had a pretty good pedigree, had really really good stuff as someone that scouts always loved, and it was just a matter of putting things together. So, yeah, I think if I'm the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, even despite the kind of ups and downs that you've seen out of a guy like Nate Pearson, you, you give him the opportunity to. Um, maximize his talent as much as possible, unless you're going to give up on him or uh, trade him, put you know, put him in a deal to get something of, of more value um, for the short term. So um, that's that's kind of where I would stand in terms of approaching how to deal with Nate Pearson. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where he lands when it comes to uh, his place on this team. I mean, he's going to be up with the majors, it's no no question, but it just where he is on this roster will be a, a point of contention for a lot of people, a lot of listeners on the station. But we're chatting with June Lee, staff writer from ESPN. June, appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday afternoon. We'll chat with you later. Have a good one. There he goes, June Lee from ESPN. You know, I, I was going to bring this up to June, uh, Savannah, that uh, we I had seen this, like, statement from PETA a couple, uh, maybe about, like, a 
what, a couple weeks ago, I want to say. And, and it was basically like right when the World Series started. So I mean, like about 10 days ago, right? And they want to change the name bullpen. Okay. So like the, they want to change the name bullpen because it is demeaning to the players in the bullpen and, re, you know, references cows going to the slaughter and so on. They want to, re, they want to change the word bullpen to arm barn, arm barn. Okay. So beyond that, just being, say that five times fast, call to the arm barn, right? Like that, <laughs> that, I, what, are, are you, are you in favor or do you not like the, the, the word arm barn? I, I, you know what? I think I get behind it. I think I can get, can I get behind the arm barn change. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, <laughs> on one hand, my mind goes to if you give PETA this control of changing a name in, in an aspect of sport, what else are they going to change? <laughs> right, and right. How much influence they're going to have on a lot of sports <laughs> in the leagues in the future? Um, but the other half of that is, like, I don't know if I'm ready for that tongue twister personally. <laughs> arm barn? Yeah, arm barn. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah have fun with that. Like uh, Jor Jordan Romano, the Blue Jays' top arm barner. <laughs> you know, like I guess. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm gonna have to say it's a no for me. We could still change the name of bullpen, but I, to arm barn. I know. I don't know about that. Okay, fair enough. I was just. <laughs> I just saw that the other day, and I thought to myself, what, what would you, what would Savannah think about the change to the arm barn? I do have a question for you, though. Sure. You know, given the fact that the Jays played half of their season based out of the states and half their season at home, how much of a difference would playing a full season? with the Jays here in Toronto, of course, on the road games as well. But how much of a difference will that make in their performance next year? Oh, boy. I mean, I mean, how many times have we all talked about, like, the difference in energy the Raptors have now that they're back from Tampa, right? I mean, it, it's like night and day, right? I mean, it, I, think we, I think we often underestimate just how much being away from your daily routine, like, messes with you, like, messes with your energy and messes with the way you prepare for things and your effort on any given day. And, I mean, like, even when I, I when I come into the studio on Sundays, I like to go get a coffee. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I'm here all pretty long on Sundays most of the time, so I'll go get a coffee, and then I'll come back and sit in the studio and make my notes and all that stuff. If I don't have a coffee, I'm a mess. It is a it is a mess, truly, on Sundays. Uh, and, and I feel like you look at the, the Toronto Blue Jays. They had to play. They played. They won pardon me 91 games they were like what a half a game away from making the playoffs they won their final game of the season they were terrific down at rogers center once they actually returned to the city i mean you tell like you know you play in, in dunedin where the fans are pooing them you play in buffalo where yankees and red sox uh, you know away fans but home fans are going in there and booing them as well and so many of the players talked about it. Like Marcus Simeon talked about it. Um, a lot of the, the minor leaguers talked about it when they got called up, like Kevin Smith and so on, right? The pitchers talked about it, Robbie Ray, et cetera. Like it's it just, there's no way you can tell me that in a division that was this tight, that a difference of even just a couple of games would have made the difference between them making the playoffs. I, I mean, look, expectations are going to be high next year. And there's no doubt about it. They won 91 games um, with uh, the, the schedule being what it was. People are going to really expect them to take another step. And, you know, we talked with June about signing Marcus Simeon and signing Robbie Ray. And if they don't get those two guys back, they're going to have to do some bargain hunting as well. But, hey, I mean, there's no real reason they shouldn't be able to sign those guys unless they just want to move on elsewhere, unless they get, unless they get like, gargantuan offers. But I, I cannot wait to see what the future holds for this Toronto Blue Jays team. That's just, like, the core of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette's, you know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Gabriel Moreno is probably a prospect who will we'll see playing time in the majors next year. I just, I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. Absolutely. Me neither. I, I mean, I can't wait to, to get back and, and 
experience a full season of having the Jays play from home. And, you know, as we were talking just a little bit off air, like just how close they really did get to that playoff run and how, how much they could have made an impact potentially in this year's playoff, given the fact that they had the routine, that momentum, not to mention the Toronto fan base, like Toronto's fan base missed the Jays. Like, the same way that the, the Toronto fans missed the Raptors here because it, it's such a different tone when a team is not is no longer here. Like the Tampa Bay Raptors felt weird. Oof, it, yeah. it does. I don't know if we ever want to go back there. No, <laughs> okay. Please no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be an exciting upcoming season with all these prospects and um, and just like the core that the, the, that the Jays already have. I just want to say the uh, Blue Jays were 6-0 against the Atlanta Braves in the regular season. So, oh, you know, oh. The Jays sounds World like a hot Series. take on the making. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I get that they played the Jays before Ronald Acuna went down. I understand. People are making their faces at the radios, but I, I get it. But still, the Blue Jays, they would have made some noise in the playoffs, and I look forward to seeing what they're going to do. Certainly for the rest of this offseason, um, certainly if they're if the season gets delayed, we don't know if the CBA is going to be completely finished by the time the season would start come you know the end of March, beginning of April. So a lot of things to look forward to on, uh, on in the in Major League Baseball, and I'm sure if you ever want the news on that, you'll be able to download the latest podcast for Blair and Barker, which uh, on Sportsnet.ca um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'll step aside. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, the final hour of the program, I guess final like 90 minutes of the program, we'll have to see where this, where this Raptors game is. <laughs> I always forget. We're here until the end of the Raptors game, not until 6 o'clock. But uh, in the next hour, we'll be joined by Jalen Collins, who is a current Argos defensive back. He's a corner for the Argos and co-host of the Raw Room podcast. He's a former uh, player for the Atlanta Falcons as well. We'll chat the uh, ongoing week nine across the NFL. Some pretty huge upsets today in the NFL, including the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They lose nine to six. Uh, I'm excited to ask Jalen about all of that. We'll chat with him coming up straight ahead. You're listening to Sportsnet Today, show and salve across the Sportsnet radio network. Welcome to the front lines. This is Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali and Savannah Hamilton with you for the next 90 minutes or so, maybe a little less. We're basically on until the end of the Raptors game. You can watch that game, by the way, right now on Sportsnet 1. Afterwards, William Liu will be across the airwaves for Raptors reaction. He'll take your calls and your texts as he usually does. And of course, if you missed it, you can always catch the Raptors reaction and the Raptors show with Will Liu uh, wherever you get your podcast. So uh, Will will be on after us. Um, we'll have a little bit of reaction right now, or pardon me, after the uh, game as well as Brooklyn leads Toronto 71-65 with about five minutes left in the third quarter. But again, that's on Sportsnet 1. We'll be joined by Jalen Collins um, in a couple of minutes here. But boy, week nine in the NFL, Sav, has been has been wild. I mean, we've basically been sitting in the studio with all the games on the various TVs. Uh, and I love watching NFL Red Zone because it just, like, flashes to all the most important plays. Like, you don't have to watch, like, a a, th- like a draw on third down, and then they just punt it away. You don't have to watch that kind of stuff when it comes to NFL Red Zone. But I do very much uh, enjoy watching because you get to see all the most fun things. And I mentioned before the break, boy, the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars 9-6. to 
I don't like again. We've been doing the show, so I didn't watch. I haven't watched like with a laser focus, but I don't think anyone was injured. I just, I, I just think that this, you know what I mean? Like it, it just, the Bills just had a massive letdown game. I dare I say between last week's win with the Jets over the Bengals and then these two, two of the wins this week, the the Broncos demolishing the Dallas Cowboys and the Bills losing to the Jaguars. Uh, dare I say most survivor picks in uh, survivor pools may have been uh, that that may be it for some people. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think this season for the NFL has been quite unexpected. Yeah, weird. It, it's been it's been almost like a, a bit of a league of parody uh, in, in in that regard. But I would be very curious to, to hear, you know, show like who who you're keeping your eye on closely. And obviously there's some other storylines going on uh, maybe off the field in, in terms of the Green Bay Packers right now and what that's looking like sure. with Rodgers. Yeah. But um, I would be very curious to hear like who who you're keeping your eye on closely. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to say the I would say I would have said the Ravens and the Bills. And then, and then of course, they both lost today. And <laughs> I mean, that's that's just I mean, that's, I suppose, the whole the nature of like any given Sunday, I guess. Right. So that's the, the, the nature of parody, I suppose. But I guess still the Bills. Right. Like if you're yeah. looking at like if you're looking at the power rankings of the AFC, it is wide open in the AFC. Right. I mean, the Patriots smoked the uh, the uh, Carolina Panthers, Sam Darnold, old friend, Sam Darnold from his days in New York just got smoked by the Patriots um, in Carolina. The Dolphins won today. They completely overwhelmed. With no Tua Tungo by low either, they completely overwhelmed uh, a hapless Houston Texans team. Uh, the Bills lose, and uh, the Jets, The Jets, I guess, lost on Thursday night. But still, like, it's just the AFC East with the Bills in it. I, like, you would have thought before the season it would have been anyone's division to like it would pardon me it would have been the bills division to win but now it seems like it's anyone's division to win absolutely you know the, the name that comes to mind in just the AFC in general right now is Odell Beckham Jr. Oh my goodness. Where is he going <laughs> to land because I could see a potential fit and now call me crazy but I think he could be a great addition to the Patriots and have an immediate impact on that team and so that would definitely put some extra comp- competition in that AFC East. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch to see where he ends up. It's funny. He said he wants to go to a contender. Well, the, the Cleveland Browns just smoked the Cincinnati Bengals earlier today. So <laughs> maybe he's leaving a contender. I don't know. Well, whatever. People, the, his decision was to move on. So we'll see where he ends up landing. Um, right now, let's uh, bring in our guest into this conversation, Jalen Collins, Argo's defensive back and co-host of the Raw Room podcast. And uh, the Argos won last night, 23-20 over the Red Blacks in the nation's capital. I do want to chat some Argos with Jalen real quick. Um, so, Jalen, I know you're a Kansas City native, and you do the podcast with your co-hosts, mm-hmm. Darren Bates and Alex Sweet, both of yes, them are also uh, American, right? So uh, before we get to any, yes. any any football stuff, what's something Canadian that you had to explain to those guys after spending some time in, in Canada with the Argos? Um. Well, of course, you know, some of the rules um, in the CFL are definitely different, you know, on, I guess, some special teams play to talk to them about, I guess, um, the game we, we won against BC, you know, at the end of the game, they missed a kick. I thought we won the game, but it went out the back of the end zone. They got a point, and I told them that's, yeah, that's legal stuff out here. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, it's funny. I was actually at that game. I was in the stands, and I remember a lot of people 
when when the kick went the the kicker missed the BC kicker missed and it went out of the end zone. I think a lot of people were like hopping up and down, and then we're like, oh, right, overtime is happening now, right? That was a uh, that was pretty that was fun. It was a great win, and uh, in a, in a cold and rainy day. So kudos to you guys for for keeping holding down the fort there, especially in overtime. Um, and of course That's last really night with the the twenty three twenty win against Ottawa, um, I do got to ask about the Argos themselves, right? You guys are at the top of the Eastern Division. Um, I believe now a game ahead of Hamilton. Um, some, you know, like we mentioned, these two games, some close shaves. What should people know about the guys in that locker room with some really gutsy wins in the last couple of weeks? Um, I mean, these guys in this locker room, they've come a long way, um, been through a lot this year, um, you know, had a coach leave and, you know, a new coach in the middle of the season, um, you know, but with all that, these guys work really hard, you know, a bit, uh, a lot of talent in the, in the defensive room. Um, both sides of the ball. But, uh, you know, defensive guys, we want to win. We want to compete. You know, we want to go out there and win games. So, you know, everybody's just, just going hard and it's, and it's showing on the field. Yeah, it seems like your team has overcome already, like a, a changing in, in coaching staff, of course. But then, you know, watching your game last night, close, close win against the Red Blacks in Ottawa, 23-20, of course. Now, what is your team hoping to achieve? Because you have a big upcoming against the Hamilton Tie Cats that could uh, be that in-season uh, tiebreaker kind of thing. And if they win, of course, that then you guys are at a, a, a weird disadvantage uh, in point differential. Um, but so, how how is the team feeling ahead of this big game, and and what are your expectations? Um, I mean, of course, we're feeling good. Um, you know, with the position that we put ourselves in. Um, you know, we we hold the the keys to our own destiny. You know, of course, we want to win the championship, but it all you know lies in this week and winning Hamilton, so we can you know secure that first round by and you know have a easier road to get into the Great Cup. Chatting with Jalen Collins here, Argos defensive back and co-host of the Raw Room podcast, which you can get wherever you find your podcasts, of course. So, Jalen, are you uh, are you down to talk some NFL with us? You're a former NFL player as well, of course. Absolutely, let's talk football. All right, let's do it. So, you know, I uh, w- you know you're a defensive back. You obviously spend a lot of time in in defensive film rooms and so on. You played for the Atlanta Falcons the year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, you know what? If you mm-hmm. if you had to take uh, uh, maybe the the hundred yard look, let's say at the teams around the league, which team you think do you think has the best defense in the NFL? Is is it the Rams now that they have Von Miller? I know he's not going to play this week, but still, is it the Rams? Is it the Buffalo Bills just south of the border? Is it someone else? Like where do you land on the best defense, quote unquote, in the NFL? Um, I mean, there's a lot of great defenses, but uh, I mean, it's it's definitely hard to you know not not see what the Rams have been doing already and then adding a piece like Bob Miller to their already stacked, you know, defensive line. It's like, uh, I mean, I don't know how other teams, you know, are going to be able to, you know, if those guys stay healthy and they're all able to contribute, um, you know, I don't know teams how, how teams are going to handle that because that's just a lot up front. And, like, let's flip it. Who who do you see having the best offense or at least a top Three teams in the in the league having the best offense right now. Um, the best offenses right now. Um, I mean, I, it's tough. I mean, there's so many good offenses right now. Um, I mean, the Rams. You know, they've they've got Cooper Cup over there lighting it up. Um, I mean, I, I like 
you know, what the Patriots are doing. Uh, um, I said the Patriots, excuse me, I'm sorry, the, the Vikings. You know, I like Justin uh, Jefferson over there. Um, I mean, but I, I, like, I like what the Titans are doing. They, they've got a bunch of pieces over there. Um, it's definitely exciting to see what, what they gonna be able to do. Um, hopefully they can, you know, overcome losing Derrick Henry. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to say because it's a long season and it's, it's a lot of football that's to be played. I do want to ask you then, Jalen, kind of like piggybacking off of Savannah's question, as, as a defensive back mm-hmm. and as someone who has played in, in, the, in the NFC South with a lot of very talented wide receivers, like guys like Michael Thomas and Julio Jones, or pardon me, I guess Julio would have been on your team, but guys like that, right? I just, I, you look at across mm-hmm. the, the, the NFL, as a defensive back, who do you think is the, has been the toughest wide receiver that you have personally covered? Uh, me, personally? Yeah. Um... I mean, I would. I didn't really have to necessarily cover him in a game, but I would. I would still say Julio, just because it's. I mean, it's a hard job to cover someone that big and that fast. I mean, he can catch radius that's, you know, out of this world, and and he just makes crazy plays. So I mean, I I definitely have to go with that Julio for sure. You know, I'm I'm very curious to to hear, you know. Just the level of competition with the NFL is so competitive. It's it's really great to watch, and and not to say that the CFL mm-hmm. uh, is just two different two different animals, two different birds. Um, you know what has been your biggest takeaway from the NFL when you played in there, um, and that has translated now to the CFL when you're contributing to the teams like like the Argos. Um, I mean every every everything counts. Um, I know the rules are different, but, you know, everybody, every man counts, every rep counts. You know, you have to take this serious. It's still a pro game, and uh, you have to approach it like that. you got to study, and you got to, you know, be there for your guys when, when they need you. And, um, I mean, if you, if you don't take this serious because, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily know a whole lot about the CFL, then that will definitely uh, put you at a disadvantage because, you know, it's, it's real ball out here. Uh, Jalen, before we let you go, I do want to ask you, well, let's end it on an Argos note. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the coaching change and a, lo- a lot of change this season. Let's put it this way, mm-hmm. in season for the Toronto Argonauts. And Ryan Dinwiddie, the head coach, what's something that people may not know about Ryan Dinwiddie that you think uh, would be a fun factoid? If you can, if you can reveal any, any, any top secret information. <laughs> oh, Coach Dinwiddie, oh. No, Coach really is a really smart guy. Um, I mean, he seems, you know, all about his business, serious about football. You know, he wants to win, very competitive. Um, but he, he definitely uh, likes to have fun, too. You know, we like to, to joke on him. He, he's hard on us, but, uh, no, he likes to have a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people might not know that. Yeah, I, I, when I was at the game the other day, and you see you see it on TV too to a lesser degree, but you you see him stalking the sidelines, and and you kind of sometimes I feel like you may not get that impression, but uh, I I do like uh, I do like that. I appreciate you joining us today, Jalen. Uh, maybe we can have you on a little later on uh, in the season. No, absolutely. No, appreciate you guys for having me. All right, there he goes, Jalen Collins, and of course, best of luck to Jalen and the Argos, Argos defensive back and co-host of the Raw Room podcast. You know, it's funny, uh, Savannah. I. I like I said to to him, I I went to the the Argos, uh, the Argos game a couple like I guess it was last week, right? So not this previous game, but the past game in in Toronto. 
And I hadn't been to an Argos game since Cleo Lemon was the quarterback, which I think was when I was in university, I want to say. Like, that was, like, around, like, 2010 or something like that. And I got to say that the, I actually had never been to any event, period, down at BMO Field. I'd never been to an event, TFC game, like the Canada World Cup qualifiers, like a concert. I've never been to anything at BMO Field and it was pretty fun. I got to say, like, I, I don't know if you've gotten down there like too often, but it's, it is a, a fun game day experience, like pinball Clemens, sometimes roaming the, roaming the stadium, the, one of the nicest men in the world. I, I got to say from like the t- few times I've interacted with him, like as a member of the media and as a fan and uh, yeah, the Argos have one of the better defensive units, at least in the Eastern division. And I mean, that game started off with them getting a pick of the, of BC, the BC Lions quarterback. And boy, like the, the people who go out there in the cold and the wind and the rain on Argos game day, like, you know what? Kudos to them for doing that because the great cup is going to be played. I think it's in Hamilton this year. And it's going to be played uh, in December at this point, boy, like that's going to be, those are some frigid conditions to be playing the uh, championship match in. Listen, uh, if I, I'm a woman, obviously. So if I was ever a guy and I had the opportunity to play football, I don't think I could <laughs> because I need to play an indoor sport. Uh, that's why I've been sticking to basketball. And when the, when the sun's out, that's when I will also play outside. But so kudos to all those athletes, you know, soccer included that could just play so freely outdoors, but okay. you're right. The atmosphere is amazing at BMO field and, and um, you know, shout out to, to the Toronto fans there as well. And just like uh, just the organization for, for really getting that together. But, you know, I look at the, the Western division of the CFL sure. and we could talk a little bit about the blue bombers because they have had a dominant season against everyone, everyone, yeah, <laughs> everyone. literally everyone. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be very interesting. And, and I think we can probably it's safe to say expect them in. The great cup. Yeah, right. I mean, they won last year, probably, yeah. you know, looking to looking to repeat, uh, you know, the CFL, like it has a, the CFL has a short half-life, right? Because of the the short amount of the small amount of teams and the way the divisions are structured and so on. So, I mean, like, it was just a few scant years ago. I feel like we we're having this conversation about the, uh, the, the Argos being in the great cup. I mean, that was, I want to say they will last run 2017, which is not that long ago. And I mean, they won the hundredth great cup when I was in university. I mean, it's just like uh, the, the, the way these teams reload and, and, you know, the players change hands, for example, is it happens a lot, but it is, it is fun to watch and it has some history behind it. I, I think I told you off the air. I went to, um, I went to, I attended the university of Toronto and, uh, in, when you go into Varsity Stadium, which is on uh, like at Bloor and St. George, like just next to St. George Subway Station, uh, they have so many Argos things. Because I guess the Argos like like uh, like decades and decades and decades ago, like I'm talking like closer to the beginning of the 19th century than to, to today, uh, played at Varsity Stadium. So it's kind of like it's kind of cool to be like a small, like in like a tiny little part of that history. But uh, but yeah, the Toronto Argonauts are are. At the top of the Eastern Division, they are eight and four, and uh, we'll be playing, like you said, when we were chatting with Jalen, we're playing that the Tie Cats this coming week. Um, I do want to switch our focus a little bit back to the NFL as well. Week nine going on right now, and uh, you mentioned to me before we had Jalen on about the Aaron Rodgers stuff, and I mean, like it, you know, first of all, it was a wild week in the NFL. I, I dare I say, Sav, right? Like you look back. And like Michael, like the trade deadline, first of all, was last week, right? So that was one thing, not a huge trade deadline. I guess the biggest thing that moved the needle on the actual day of the trade deadline was uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the, like the Canadian guard who played for the Chiefs. He had opted out of playing in the NFL over the last couple of years because he was, he's a doctor, right? So he did, he was working on the front lines with 
COVID-19 and so on. So he got traded to the Jets. We'll see if that has any immediate impact. I guess he's now like a little closer to uh, to, to Canada, let's say, than, than he was when he was playing in Kansas City. Um, but so that was like the only really big thing that happened on the trade deadline. Nothing really like earth shattering happened. A couple of guys got moved for like sixth round picks or something like that, right? So trade deadline happened. Michael Thomas decided to say star wide receiver that he's not, he doesn't want to suit up for the New Orleans Saints anymore. Uh, you had the OBJ stuff that we talked about. I mean, like, you know, then you, then you, of course, you had the Aaron Rodgers. No, no, it wasn't a press conference. I guess it was an interview um, on the Pat McAfee show. But I got to say, I, I dare I say, in recent memory, I can't remember a, like a span of seven days that was quite as turbulent in the National Football League. Like, the, the, the NFL has done a great job at making themselves relevant, like, in a in a year and like a, a year overall news cycle, right from the NFL draft to the combine to the playoffs to all this stuff during the season itself. But boy, that was one crazy final seven days. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, how much like stories have come out of the NFL the past seven days and just how much this impacts the season as a whole. Like, you know, we, we talk about the Packers top of the NS, NFC North, of course, like what's their season going to look like without their quarterback. And, like, I know the situation is a bit touch and go, but it, it, it's something that really stands out to me. Not to mention, you know, um, like, uh, Jalen Collins, he mentioned the Vikings in the conversation, right. which kind of surprised me a little bit because I am a Vikings fan. I will say right. that. I am, right. I am a Vikings Go. We, we talked about this a little bit off air. goes back to the Randy Moss days, of sure. course. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that division is going to shape up um, with with – with Aaron Rodgers gone out of there now, uh, for at least temporary for now. But I was going to ask you, who is your sleeper team in this year's season? For the NFL? For the NFL. Boy, that's a great question. I I want to say, you mean of a team, like looking at the records now? Yeah. Say, right. I, you know, I'd probably say the Raiders, Yeah. perhaps. I know the Raiders. I believe, I haven't looked at this score. I think they did lose today to the Giants, but uh, which was which itself is a shock. I mean, today was just a day full of upsets, right? The Miami beating... Uh, the tech, maybe that's not an upset actually. The Miami, Miami is like they're both kind of bad yeah. teams, so I guess it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> so, but the but the Giants beating the Raiders, that's an upset, I would say. Um, the the Patriots uh, winning by such a l- huge amount, that was a like you know in terms of if you if you're a gambler and betting against the spread, uh, you look at Denver beating D- D- Dallas and maybe even Atlanta beating New Orleans, all all two degree upsets. But the Raiders, it's funny, I would have, I mean the the Chiefs are playing right now. And we'll see what happens in this game, especially with no Aaron Rodgers on the other side of this equation. And a lot, a lot of people want to see the Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. battle. But, and we're not getting that today, unfortunately. But I guess the, the Raiders look like the most complete team in the AFC West, which is crazy considering Justin Herbert plays for the Chargers and Patrick Mahomes plays for the Chiefs. A lot of season left. They could get it together. But don't get me wrong. But but like the way the Chiefs have looked so discombobulated, I just don't know what's wrong. Like, Listen, it, I was just gonna I, I was just gonna ask you, how are you feeling about quarterback Patrick Mahomes? He secured the bag, obviously, the yeah. past uh was it was it last year you had the huge race uh, out the year yeah, before? Was, I think it was because I guess they won the Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah. And then they went back to the Super Bowl, lost against the Bucks, and then he got his big And then he got the yeah, yeah. And then he and then he secured the bag. Yes. So half a billion dollars. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine that. That's like that's a lot of money. Um, but I, I was gonna say, like, how are you feeling about his level of play um, this season? And and just as you mentioned, like the team looks a little disjointed. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's no no one will ever deny he is probably the most talented quarterback currently in the NFL. I mean, if you want to split hairs and say, yeah, Tom Brady is still that guy, or Aaron Rodgers is still that guy, I'm not gonna like, quibble too too much because 
they've been around for a long time. But Patrick Mahomes is like at the head of the forefront of that quote unquote next generation. And he already has a Super Bowl ring, right? So I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna be the guy for years and years and years we're talking about. I just I almost feel like with Mahomes, the defense for the Chiefs is terrible, right? Like it might it might be the worst defense in the NFL. And they still have I think I don't know what the exact number is, but they still have one of the highest overall cap hits in the entire league, right? And so they have a lot of lengthy contracts committed to the books. And I know the salary cap is like kind of fake. Sometimes it feels like they kind of like can manipulate it in any number of ways. A lot of this stuff is not guaranteed. They can make guys go away if they really want to. But like right now they are in a bind and the defense hasn't been great as of late going, coming into this week, right? And I feel like Patrick Mahomes has been trying to play like, I don't know, lack of a better word, hero ball a little bit. Like, you know, ju- jumping with his, like jumping and leaving his feet when making a pass in the end zone. And, you know, he played the Giants the other week and on, I guess it was on Monday night and he got, he got picked off, for example. And it's just like, he's looking very mortal, which is like weird because he has looked so superhuman his entire, like at, at least as a starter, his career as a starter, he's looked amazing, right? So I it's, it's funny because he's still playing like, okay right he is still playing like instead of being the best quarterback in the nfl he's playing like the sixth or seventh best quarterback in the nfl which by most team standards would be fine unfortunately for him he is also dragging again probably the worst defense in the nfl behind him and if you're playing like the seventh best and not the best that's a big pretty big difference yeah not not to mention i also want to kind of talk about this real quick because sure the broncos they faced um the cowboys today yeah. and won are you is, are you surprised about that? Because I I personally have the Cowboys as kind of my sleeper team in the season, but I don't know if you could ever write off the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean that that offense is so hard to slow down. The Broncos did it, right? I mean, it turned. Hey, who knew the Broncos just didn't need Von Miller and all they all they were going to do is slow down one of the top scoring <laughs> offenses in the entire NFL, right? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely no problem. Dak making Dak Prescott and Ceedee Lamb and the rest of those guys. I think they didn't score their first touchdown until. What, like a couple of minutes left in the fourth quarter, right? So that's a tremendous job by the Denver Broncos and Vic Fangio and certainly Teddy Bridgewater as well. Teddy Two Gloves, who has been, I think, like, a, you know, on, on, probably by me as well, probably unfairly maligned at times. But, uh, yeah, the Broncos with one of the, one of the bigger upsets of the season. I, I still, I'm still not buying what the Broncos are selling. Let's put it that way. I, I, I think that when it comes to the end of the season, even with the extra game and the playoffs being expanded and so on, I don't think the Bronx are making the playoffs. What's stopping you from buying what they're selling? I just, the offense is too inconsistent. They're too, I, but I mean, you know, you know what, to be fair, to play devil's advocate, Jerry Judy only came back last week and he played this week and he's really, he's a phenomenal player. I, he's, we talked in the break about like how I don't watch a ton of college football. He's like one of the guys you do watch because that's how good he is. And he got injured in what, like the first quarter of game number one and only returned recently. But I don't know. It's just as, as good as the defense has been, I think when you look up and down the AFC, I would probably still take, despite the weird result today, I'd probably still take the Bills. I'd probably still take the Chargers and the Chiefs, probably. I mean, it's crazy to say, I would, despite the win today, I'd probably still take the Chargers, Chiefs, and Raiders over the Broncos at this point. Really? really? What have, what's the biggest takeaway from the Bills, I should ask, that makes you believe that they're in the, they're in the lead in this conversation? They've definitely been, they've, I think they've been lucky, first of all, that they've stayed very healthy. 
right? Mm-hmm. I think not, not a lot of teams have been able to be as healthy as they have over the course of the season. And again, we've been in here, so I haven't watched like the whole game. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not going to be completely wrong about that <laughs> and that like someone got horribly injured in this, in this 9-6 game. You'll find out in your tweets later. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'll look <laughs> at the mentions a little later on. But uh, I think that the Bills just, they're constructed in such a way that I just, I find it hard to believe. Again, I mean, it's like, it's terrible. We just say that I find it hard to believe that any team could slow them down and they lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars of all teams who are like probably the worst team in the NFL, right? And 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 not not only that, I think Trevor Lawrence did exit this game and played like a large part of this game. I think he did return, but a large part of this game, C.J. Beathard was the quarterback. And it's it's like, yeah, we watched C.J. Beathard unfortunately play football for the, for the San Francisco 49ers when they were dealing with all their injuries last year or the year before. And I don't know. The Bills are still, because of their defense, I mean, that's one thing that I don't think really I have any issue even in the loss today. I mean, they, the, the Jaguars only scored nine points against the against the the Bills. The offense is what was the problem today. But, boy, that Bills defense is nasty. Like, they are, like, Mario Addison, Darius, like, all these guys from top to bottom are so, so talented. And I look forward to seeing, I mean, no no major additions by Brandon being at the trade deadline, but I just look forward to seeing how Sean McDermott and company will deploy this defense going forward because, I, I just I'm not entirely sure if there's a an offense in the NFL, whether it's the Ravens or or pardon me in the AFC, whether it's the Ravens or the Chiefs or the Chargers. The Bills already beat the Chiefs earlier this year. I, that can keep pace with this, specifically with the Bills defense. You know, it's only Week Nine of the NFL. Also true. Also true. We're halfway through, but I feel like this is like the prime time to make bold predictions for. Ooh, okay. Ooh, for the mid-season yeah. bold predictions. Let's do some mid-season bold predictions. So, who do you got? Uh, wild card. Who who do you have mm. unexpectedly making the playoffs? And then eventually, I also want to pick your brain and, and understand who do you have in the Super Bowl. That's a great question. So I'm making you think. <laughs> I gotta buy some time. I have you thinking over here. But um, you know, I'm very curious to see what happens with Odell Beckham Jr. because I think he's going to be such an impactful player no matter where he goes. But he has to also find the right fit. He's also a player that um, you know, obviously him with being such a superstar uh, receiver. He's not the type, though, that necessarily needs to be the number one option, I, I, in my opinion, at least from what sure. I've seen. He could still be that guy. I think he, I think it's ideal for him to be that guy. But I think really what he wants to do is just be con- a, a major contributor, even that, even if that means the second option on a team or on a, on a franchise. So I'm very curious to see where he ends up, that's for sure. But now that I've bought you some time, what's your answer? <laughs> you, you know, you mentioned earlier, actually, when we, were t- when we first talked about OBJ, um, that you'd be curious to see what he does in the Patriots. Now, I'm not the Patriots are my Super Bowl pick, but I think they are going to make the playoffs, and I, I think that's going to be a huge turnaround considering they drafted Mac Jones what 15th overall or something like that, right? I mean, he has been he he certainly looks the most, you know, quote unquote. I know this is like a, a tired sports cliche, but like he looks the most NFL ready, and that yes. I guess that was the talk about him coming out of Alabama that of Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Those guys, like, I, there's a lot, like you say, it's only week nine, and there's a lot of career left ahead for all, all these rookies. Not to mention, they're rookies. They're on rookie yeah, contracts. Yeah. The salary cap is still pretty good for them. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's my pick. That's my sleeper pick. Patriots, okay. um, they, they, they um, I don't know if it's necessarily addition by subtraction when they got rid of Stephon Gilmore, but I would have liked to see him stay in the Patriots because they would have, that defense would have been even nastier, but I guess he had a, from what I can tell, when I think the prior to this week when they were he's doing his interviews with the press uh, in Boston, he said that they had a difference of opinion on how they, the team treated him after he got injured, and then you know he wanted a different contract and he wasn't being paid a lot of money when it comes to like top corners at the very least. So I guess he, he demanded to be 
let go and they traded him for like essentially for beans to the to the Carolina Panthers, right? But I uh, but even without Stephon Gilmore, you got guys like Kyle Van Noy and J.C. Jackson and you know Kyle Duggar and so on and the the new additions like Matthew Judon and Jalen Mills like some of them have been up and down but it's it is a I think that is truly one of the most talented defenses in the NFL. Um, I, honestly, it's crazy to say that two of the best defenses in the AFC may be in the AFC East, which is kind of kind of crazy to say. Absolutely. So so is that who? Who you have in the finals? Then is that who you have in the Super Bowl? No, that's my. That's just like this my sleeper, just sleeper. My sleeper okay. pick to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think a, I think a Super Bowl this year will will be like Bills Rams. Okay. Yeah, that's my that's my ultimate pick. I think I'm trusting you on that yeah. one. What about you? What's your sleeper pick? I I think I mentioned it earlier. I think Dallas. Dal- I, think, okay, I don't so think you could ever Dallas. sleep okay. on Dallas. Yeah, so that's, that's what I got for you. I mean, you look at the rest of that division too, right? Despite the loss, they still play in a division with Washington. Who I mean, I don't know if like the. Taylor, the shine has now come off of Taylor Heineke. Bottle up your Heineke's, right? No more Heineke <laughs> for me. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably going to come back in the near future. We'll see if that changes anything. They've also been dealing with a ton of injuries, right? Like Antonio Gibson, I want to say he's playing through a shin fracture, which sounds awful, frankly. A uh, bunch of other guys injured as well. You know, you look at the Eagles, Jalen Hurts. Is, Jalen Hurts is fun to watch from like a fantasy football perspective sometimes, but from like a real life football perspective, I'm not sure if he is like the, the full-time, like the real answer that they could, like the Eagles could very well play out the season. Jalen Hurts has a great year. And then they have a new quarterback in 2022, like, like the way things are going right now. And then the New York Giants are probably the, the tall, like the biggest competition for the Dallas Cowboys. And it's still the, the, the gap between the Eagles and Cow or pardon me, the, uh, the Cowboys and, and, and Giants are, are pretty, it's a pretty big one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to see how the rest of the season plays out for the NFL. Like we said, we're only week nine. So we got a lot of season left to play and hopefully these teams stay healthy because that, well, let's be honest, like that's more than half the battle. Yeah. Attrition always sets in, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like it's not just for football. It's for, I would say for any team, but we'll have to keep on, keep on, keep it on when it comes to uh, monitoring the NFL. Uh, of course, week nine going on right now, uh, wherever you watch your football streams, of course, but we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will uh, hear from manager John Gibbons. He was a guest on Fan Drive Time with uh, Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Earlier this past week, he talked about uh, winning a World Series ring with uh, his old running mate, Alex Anthopoulos. We'll hear that interview with John Gibbons straight ahead. Show and Sav on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. Uh, the Sportsnet Radio Network. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can resist. I can resist. <laughs> Yo, the music's been fire this whole this whole past three hours here. It has been. Danielle, kudos to our technical director Danielle Furtado. Always uh, pick some bangers for us and uh, keeping the uh, keeping the the beats jumping, keeping it lively in here here at One Mount Pleasant. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network show and Sav here with you for I guess basically just like about a you know, 45 more minutes or so, right? The Raptors, uh, still about two minutes left in this one, a little less than two minutes, actually. Brooklyn leading 111-103. You can watch that game on Sportsnet 1. Uh, and again, as I've been saying all afternoon, uh, we will be, I guess, joined by and then followed by Will Liu, who will host Raptors Reaction, and he will take your calls and texts to break down this game against Kevin Durant and James Harden. Um, is this the first game... Savannah, that Katie is playing in front of a crowd 
at Scotiabank Arena since he tore his Achilles? Like, I think it might be. I, I could think- be. I could be wrong, but I think it might be. I believe that's correct. So I know, wow. Yeah, I know he's played here like yeah. since, since he came back, but that was without a crowd, obviously. It's, it, without a crowd, and he was with a different jersey, of right. course, the Warriors, and now he's back in with Brooklyn facing the Raptors. Sure, the fans are giving him an earful, <laughs> hopefully not as bad as what it was before and with the Warriors, of course. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. But, I mean, just looking at the score right now, it's 103-111. Uh, Raptors are trailing, of course, so... Um, you know, and as he goes up for like an alley-oop right now, we're just instantly watching the game while we're reacting. But, um, you know, James Harden, what a c- contribution and, and to the team he was yeah. and such a major piece. Boy. And, of course, his, you know, chemistry with, you know, Kevin Durant. And, you know, obviously Kyrie Irving's not in the clear yet, but if Kyrie Irving's able to join the, the Brooklyn Nets this season, whew, what a dominant offensive team they can be. Well, I remember when I know this is this is not a kind of getting off the Raptors here for a second, but I do remember going back to the playoffs last year. Isn't it crazy to think that uh, if Kevin Durant wore like one shoe size smaller, that maybe the Bucks don't win the NBA championship, right? Because I remember that. I think it was game. It was game seven. I think it was right? game seven. Yeah, and he and it was it was like seconds before overtime, and he nails a three. And, you know, I think because his foot was on the line or his toenail was on the line. Legit. Oh my goodness, that was. That was an that, like, that was an insane series. Like, it was. I, I, that was so much fun to watch. I truly believe that had injuries not mounted. I know, like it's a it's a coulda woulda shoulda type situation. And full credit to the Bucks for winning and advancing and winning the NBA Finals. No, not no disrespect to them, but it's just like so wild to think that just the slightest of things right? caused the, the the Nets to not go, despite some like truly otherworldly stuff from Kevin Durant in that in that series. And then it could have been a Suns Brooklyn Nets. Oh my goodness! Championship and oh my, that would have been quite the series to fun. watch as well. Yeah. That would yeah. have been a lot of fun. But like you know, I'm looking at the NBA standings right now, and like the Bulls, Demar Derozan's been so dominant on that on that Bulls squad. Demar Derozan. I mean, we had the, the Demar conversation off the top as to you know his relation to the city of Toronto and the, the Raptors fan base. And he's never shown anything but love for the six and the fans here, which is absolutely great. You know, the famous, I got you and all, all that stuff. I just, when it comes to his evolution as a player, I got to say, like, I mean, I think he clearly, he was, he was very, very, very good player when he was in uh, Toronto, right up until he got traded for Kawhi, certainly with the uh, Danny green purdled stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, his evolution as a player just in the last couple of seasons while he was down in San Antonio to the player he is now, like he, it's not that it's not night and day necessarily, but it's definitely like a couple of steps ahead of where he was. Absolutely. I think honestly, when you, when you're coached under Greg Popovich, your game is bound to take another jump. And I think sometimes being in the same organization for a long time, you get used to the same system, and that doesn't necessarily always foster growth. And that goes for not just the Raptors. That goes for any player that would play and, and come. So, I mean, I actually look at Kyle Lowry himself. You know, he came from uh, Houston yeah, to, right. to the Raptors after playing briefly for Memphis. And so, you know, when you play for a couple organizations, sometimes you learn different patterns. You see what fits, what doesn't fit. And now he's playing at the Heat, and Heat fans are like, oh, who is this guy? I'm like, bro, he's been a thing. Trust us. Trust us. <laughs> what? Kyle Lowry is good? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Whoa. They're so used to playing against the Raptors, and I'm sure they have their fair share of hater comments when the Raptors would play the Heat <laughs> that now they are cheering for him. You're like, oh, my goodness, he takes charges? Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> I, yeah, boy. I remember when Lowry came to the Raptors 
all those years ago, and he was like splitting. Remember, he was kind of viewed as like a malcontent and like a coach killer yep. and, and all this stuff. And then he was uh, splitting time with uh, I want to say Jose Calderon yes. at the point guard position. And like, and I remember at the time, I remember thinking to myself. Kyle Lowry, who's this guy? I, I love Jose Calderon. I mean, Calderon is like, I, I think to this day, a beloved player by the by the front rap. He may not be like one of the 10 best Raptors by any means, but I, I think he is like, in, in terms of fan favorites, he's definitely pretty high in the list when, when it comes to the fan base. But boy, Lowry, like, it's crazy to think of the, the, the what the Raptors were when Lowry arrived to what they were just last season. Yeah, no, you know, Jose Calderon, he was one of my favorite sure, Raptors yeah. uh, growing up watching him play. Uh, he just has such a high basketball IQ and makes such such great decisions. I truly think that, you know, we talk about player development and Kyle Lowry and just the decision-making process that we've seen him really grow into because, you know, I think over the past three seasons with, with his last three seasons with the Raptors, it's only gotten so much more, that much more stronger. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, you can't help but wonder if, if Jose Calderon, you know, had had a had a influence on, on him as a development in, in terms of player, but, you know, something that's also very interesting to me where it's happening right now is this is Steve Nash's team. This is Steve Nash's right. Brooklyn Nets. Right. You know, the Canadian basketball player legend himself uh, coaching these Nets. And, you know, they're right now they're fourth in the East. And I think some people that might be a bit of a su- surprise, but um, considering I think that the expectation for the Nets was for them to be number one in the East, even, even without Kyrie being available right now. Um, but 76ers, they're looking really good. Joel Embiid. Like, I, I think he's taking his game to another level. Yes, yeah. Eight and two, Sixers, Sixers at the top of the East, just over the Heat and Bulls, who are half and uh, one and a half games back of the 76ers right now for the one, two, three spots. Um, you know, I, I like, I guess it's the, the Bulls are, I think, the most surprising team at the top of the East, to me at least, because I think we, as much as Embiid has improved his game, I think we still expected the 76ers to exist, like, in the yes. top three to some degree, right? And I think you probably ex- accept, expected, pardon me, the Miami Heat to also exist somewhere near the top of the standings, especially with the addition of Kyle Lowry. Um, the, I think in the top six, so it's the, the top three goes 76ers, Heat, Bulls, and then it goes Nets, Wizards, Knicks right now. And uh, the Bulls, Nets, Wizards, and Knicks are all tied at six and three. So I'm sure there'll be some changes in the rankings after today, of course. But uh, the Wizards and Knicks being five and six are, I think that is the most shocking thing about the early, like the first nine to 10 games of the NBA season. And it's funny. I, did you see, we can't play down the air, Sav, because it is profane, but the uh, the video of those Knicks fans, I think it was from Side Talk NYC, which is some kind of, like NYC based, like YouTube video, like these two guys, they conduct interviews, they're on the streets and, you know, like, you know, viral stuff, talking to guys on the on the sidewalk and stuff. But that video, the whole bing bong thing and like the people yelling at the camera and yelling about Tom Brady and so on. Like, I got to say, I saw that and it truly made me laugh uh, because, you know, I, like the Knicks have been bad for so long, yeah. right? Like going back to, I don't even know, like the days of Patrick Ewing and Space Jam, or if not. R.J. Barrett. Yeah, or right? Pre-R.J. Barrett. Pre-R.J. Barrett. Yeah, we live in the R.J. Barrett, I guess, era. Julia, <laughs> Julius Randle era, I yeah. guess, right? I, but uh, but yeah, the Knicks, uh, here, but we're going to play the John Gibbons interview in a sec, but I just I want to ask you, the Knicks being good. Is that not good for the like? I don't want to say the sport, but for the for the NBA? Wow, the Knicks being good, good and Knicks in the same sentence. Oof. <laughs> um, absolutely, it is because the Knicks are located at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day in New York and such a basketball rich historic city with the fans and millions of people being there. It's good for the 
fandom ship. It's good for jersey sales. It's good for the bigger picture, not just for like what's the product on the floor. So, and not to mention just the history that the Knicks have has, as you referred to, it gets really competitive. Yeah. And I think with them being another factor in this league again, I mean, naturally that's going to probably bring out some old school like rivalry mentalities, some older fans are coming out to to see the team again. And like, they're <laughs> like, wow, getting tickets to a Knicks game isn't the worst thing. And, you know, maybe maybe it's going to be a lot of fun if I attend this game, just as a, simply put as a fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, it'll be really interesting to see if they can keep this up. I have my doubts personally <laughs> to say, to be to be generous with it. They're six and three. Will they still be, that, that's a six, six, seven winning percentage. Will they still maintain that winning percentage? Eh. It's oh. still really early on. Anything could really happen. I think, you know, as you mentioned, the Bulls are a bit of a surprise, but then you see who's on the Bulls roster and maybe it's just a well uh, architect, uh, thought out roster and, and terms of putting it together because you know they have Demar, but they also have Lonzo and they have Zach Levine. Yeah, like it's a strong team right there. Vucevic, right? Vucevic, I mean, he, he, yep. that guy is a monster. I remember when he played <laughs> for. You asked me in the break, actually, like if I had to pick a team outside of the Toronto Raptors that I that I follow, uh, who what, who it would be, who would it be? And uh, I I said to you that it was probably the Orlando Magic because yeah. I, I I think I've said this on the air before. I have a lot of family that live down in Orlando, so I've been to a, a fair amount of Orlando Magic games over the years. Um, even when they were like really, really bad. I remember when Terrence Ross got traded to the Magic. That was kind of fun because it felt like you kind of like knew, quote unquote, knew somebody on this team. Um, but Vucevic played for the Magic for a number of years, right? So I feel like I've seen him play for so long. And I, it's it's funny. He, he is just, he is so good. I mean, we talked, we opened the show talking about like guys the Raptors may struggle against in the front court. And I'm not saying like, I, I, I think no matter what, the Raptors defensive intensity will allow them to compete with pretty much any of the teams we've been talking about, right? Absolutely. Like, sure, they'll be, they'll struggle against some teams. I mean, other teams have really good players too. And, and matchups, yeah. And, yeah, matchups and the way things are deployed and, and so on. I totally understand all of that. But even with the Embiid's and the Vucevic's of the world, I mean, the Raptors, even if they don't pull it out tonight, the Raptors are, I think that like, I'm, I'm, you're never going to be able to, never going to count them out unless they just don't have the energy from the get-go. But like, this is a, such a youthful team that I feel like it, if, it doesn't matter who they're playing. The 76ers at the top of the Eastern Conference, the Magic Corps at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, I just, I, I have pretty good confidence that they're going to be able to compete in any given night. Yeah, and as we said, I think before, like earlier in the show, they are ahead of schedule and they did yeah. actually... Uh, Take the take the loss tonight against the Brooklyn uh, Nets, but you know, like they have so much potential, and sure. not just potential, but they've also started to live up to that as well. Like we've seen in Scotty Barnes, in Delano B Banton, so early in the season. Um, I think the next step from here is potentially finding maybe if it's if it's a piece, if it's an extra play or it's just something that kind of takes this roster over the edge for a playoff, like a real, I think they could currently make the playoffs for sure. Sure. But yeah. how far can they go in it is yeah. my question. Yeah. And well, especially if they end up taking one of the lower seated parts of that bracket, right? In terms of like the one, eight, two, seven, yeah. so on. Right. And if that's the case, they will get matched up with probably one of the 76ers heat or Bulls, or something like that. And it, it, that, I think that's a valid question. Yeah, and if you like, I mean, if you look at the standings right now, who would have thought that the Celtics and the Bucks would be 10 and 11? Oh, my goodness. Right? Yeah. This is a weird season that we're in regard regards to that. But, um, you know, I would those would be the types of teams. And even the Hawks at 12 right now, um, and the Pacers playing decent basketball. They're, and, you know, obviously these numbers are so early in the season. I don't necessarily, you know, consider these, like, from from, you know, 
10 to 13, though hardcore. I think they, these franchises have the ability to flip it around when players find their groove again. Um, but if the, any of those teams get locked somehow in a play-in situation, those are the teams that you absolutely do not want to face in the first game of a play-in. I think you said 10 through 13, so we can both agree that the Magic and the Pistons are... Uh, um, nah, nah. <laughs> uh, you said Magic is the only of your favorite teams outside of the Raptors, and I was like, okay. <laughs> not, not my personal yeah, choice. Yeah, they, you know what? I, I don't blame you. Yeah, they're not... They uh, Look, Jalen Suggs looks... You know, pretty good. Now, I'm not going to say he looks yeah. amazing, but he looks pretty good. He's but, in the conversation. But by and large, it's a it's a pretty bad basketball team. But yeah, I don't I don't think we're going to be spending too much time on these airwaves talking about the uh, the Orlando Magic <laughs> between now and the end of the regular season. Um, it's a final as well. In case you missed it, down at Scotiabank Arena, one sixteen one oh three. The final. It's a, a win for the Brooklyn Nets over the Toronto Raptors. So in about I would say 15, 20 minutes, we're going to get Will Lou. He's going to come in studio. He'll take your calls and texts for Raptors reaction. But right now, we are very pleased to be joined by. Uh, NBA content producer for Sporting News Canada and NBA Canada, Kyle Irving. And uh, Kyle, we do appreciate you hopping on to chat uh, some Raptors and, of course, to chat some uh, NBA as well. You heard us talking about the other teams in the Eastern Conference. Let's start with the Raptors real quick. I just want to ask you right off the top, what did you see from Pascal Siakam in his first game of the season that you liked? I thought he looked pretty good. Like I thought he was moving around out there well. I feel like a lot of times when a player comes back from you know, just like a long time away from game action. It's all about just getting your wind back under you. And I thought he was moving around pretty well out there, even though, you know, it was, it's not like it was a lower body injury. It was a shoulder injury. So he was still able to get his cardio in, but you can't replicate game speed anywhere else. And I thought, you know, in terms of, it didn't look like he was shying away from contact. It didn't look like he was uncomfortable dribbling the ball or anything like that. He was attacking the rim like he normally was. I think it was more so than anything else, just, you know, the touch, the feel, uh, those type of things that it takes a little bit back to get into game rhythm. He missed a couple bunnies right around the rim, missed a couple pull-up jumpers that he normally knocks down. But all in all, I feel like it was an encouraging de- debut for Pascal going up against obviously a tough team, and the Raptors needed him to hit some shots today, and some of those shots didn't fall on the mark. But uh, all in all, I think it's an encouraging first game back for Pascal Siakam if you're a Raptors fan. Yeah, absolutely. It's a solid start. Um, and and kind of in the same vein as Scotty Barnes, like just keep the expectations a little bit lower just until he finds his rhythm and within the team chemistry. How do you think, you know, he fit in tonight uh, in terms of ingrating himself in the offense for the Raptors? I thought it looked good. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I mean, it looked like this team was starting to get into a rhythm with the starting lineup that they had. And it was, how are you going to integrate Pascal Siakam into that? Is, is that going to take away from Scotty Barnes' touches? Does that take away from Gary Trent Jr.? And obviously the answer was no with how well he shot the ball tonight. But um, I think it's encouraging just seeing that, you know, they could go to that small ball lineup. And that's something that was kind of alluded to in the preseason where, you know, they could essentially play OG Ananobi technically at the five and run with Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and that's, you know, I mean, it's an, a versatile five. It's a mobile five. They're going to run up and down the floor like we saw tonight. Um, and I think that's the way that the Raptors want to play. That's the way that Nick Nurse wants to play. So I don't think it takes them out of their comfort zone by any means. Um, I feel like, you know, it's going to take a little bit for Pascal to get adjusted alongside uh, two other forwards that all kind of fill the same areas on the floor. But uh, with how versatile OG, Scotty, and Pascal are, I don't see that being any issue once they start getting comfortable next to each other. We're chatting with Kyle Irving, NBA content producer for Sporting News and NBA Canada. Okay, so Kyle, I do got to ask, how much the Ra- how much did the Raptors miss Kem Birch tonight? 
they did miss Ken Birch tonight. I feel like, uh, you know, on the interior, just being able to grab some of those rebounds, like there was one that stuck out in my mind that an offensive rebound just dropped right into James Harden's hands as the Raptors are trying to make a little bit of a comeback, and he just gets an easy layup right away. It's like little plays like that. Blake Griffin had a big game tonight, too, and obviously Ken Birch could have made a difference there. Um, but, you know, I feel like against a team like the Nets, who also like to move at a fast pace. They like to play around the perimeter. Uh, it's a lot of uh, pick and rolls with James Harden and Kevin Durant and just getting them into mismatches and trying to you know, make the defense work in order to get them the easiest possible looks. I feel like Ken Birch kind of could have got put on an island out there against guys like Harden and, and Durant, where maybe he may not have been on the floor at the end of the game anyway, but obviously missing an interior presence like that with how, Ken, how well Ken Birch has been playing, you know, just bringing an attitude and aggressiveness on the boards and just protecting the paint. It feels like, you know, obviously his uh, contributions were missed tonight. You know, to, like the Raptors have been, oh, for the most part, with the exception of the Cleveland game, of course, and the last final stretch there that went wrong for the Raptors, they've been playing some good basketball. So I am curious to think, to, to wonder, in your opinion, you know, what happened tonight that just didn't translate to the, to the win? I feel like they played pretty good defense for three quarters. And then when they needed it most, uh, they just couldn't stop Brooklyn from making shots in the fourth quarter. And they were scoring on the other end. It was just a lot of back and forth. You know, they couldn't come up with a stop when they needed it. But I feel like that's the big thing of why the Raptors have been playing so well this year. That defense is starting to look like, you know, a Nick Nurse branded defense that we saw his first two years in Toronto. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the stats look like after this game, but going into this game, I know that they were number one in the league in steals. They were number one in the league in deflections. They were number one in the league in loose balls recovered. It's those type of, you know, scrappy things that Nick Nurse looks for his, looks for out of his guys and on his team. Just a bunch of guys that are going to get up in your face on defense. They're, they're going to try and suffocate you on every possession. And I feel like Gary Trent Jr. is just, you know, the prime example of that. We're seeing how fast he's becoming a solid defender. He leads the league in steals. It seems like he's all over the place. Uh, he's got those active hands that are just coming up with poking the ball loose and just creating turnovers. And then the Raps are doing a good job. Uh, scoring the other way they were leading the league in points off turnovers as well before this game so you know in in terms of the loss to Brooklyn it felt like down the stretch James Harden uh, he finally found his rhythm KD hit a couple tough shots and that's going to happen against a team of that caliber but uh, I just felt like their defense was real solid for three quarters and that kind of fell apart a little bit in the fourth quarter and that was a difference maker. Chatting with Kyle Irving here following the 116-103 Raptors loss to the Brooklyn Nets here on Sunday afternoon down at Scotiabank Arena. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Show Alley and Savannah Hamilton. We will make way for William Liu for Raptors reaction uh, in, in about you know, 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, I do want to ask you, or take a spin, let's say, Kyle, around the rest of the NBA. And I, I had said this to Savannah earlier, um, and I want to get your take on this. The, the, the Knicks being good now quote-unquote good whether or not you believe that's going to stay stay the case uh, between now and the end of the regular season lots of basketball left to be played in this 82 game season but is the Knicks being good a good thing for the health of the NBA absolutely and I think that's like kind of the biggest one of the biggest questions coming into the season is all right the Knicks ended up being pretty good last year but can they replicate that especially with all the pressure from New York fans and New York media can they live up to those expectations and I think the thing that's interesting about the Knicks so far this year is that last season they were one of the best defensive teams in the NBA and that's how they were getting it done but this year it's actually the offensive side of the ball that has carried them to this point to a six and three record where, you know, they're sitting close to the top of the Eastern conference. And, you know, 
if you're a Knicks fan and your offense is what's carrying you, then you should be feeling pretty good because you know that Tom Thibodeau defense is eventually going to come around. But, I mean, we saw it in the playoffs last year with the early exit that they needed shot creators. In this offseason, they went out and got Kemba Walker, who's had, you know, a tough past couple games, but I would say he's had more ups than downs so far in his time in New York. Evan Fournier has been a great offseason addition. R.J. Barrett is shooting the ball better than he's ever shot the ball in his entire life. And Julius Randle obviously proved that, you know, the first round that we saw in the playoffs last year isn't who he really is. It was really the whole body of work last year because he's playing really well again this year. So, I mean, it's obviously better for the NBA when the Knicks are better because there's just always that added intrigue and and their fan base is loud. And, you know, the the games at Madison Square Garden are rocking and it turns every single Knicks matchup into almost must-see TV, especially because they play a lot of close games. But I'm really impressed with how they're getting it done this year, uh, being more of an offensive-minded team where, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they look like once the defense does come around. Another team getting it done this year is the Golden State Warriors. Now, I was on many other shows recently this past season, and I was like, yo, watch out for the Warriors because they're back. And I know that, um, you know, Clay isn't fully back yet, of course, but, uh, and, and, you know, Brandon Ingram wasn't available during that Pelicans game, but they still won 126 85 that Friday night. So Steph Curry said that he isn't surprised by their seven in one start. To be honest, I'm not surprised by their seven in one start, but are you surprised that they've continued to, um, you know, turn this franchise around from what was the past, like last season without the return of Clay Thompson yet? I'm going to be honest with you, Savannah. I was actually on the Warriors side this year too. Like going into the season, I was feeling pretty good about them. I just you look up and down the roster and it just seems like there's more talent that they've had on their roster this year than in past years. And, you know, the past couple of years without Clay Thompson, it really seems like it's been Steph Curry and everybody else. Who else is going to give him, you know, a boost on offense or is he going to have to do everything himself? And we saw Wiggins give him a little bit of a boost last year and he's doing it again this year. But really, I mean, it's, it's been a team effort, and that's the biggest thing. Guys like Damian Lee have knocked down clutch shots. Jordan Poole is, like, really doing a great job. Andre Godali even said it the other night himself that Jordan Poole is giving them some Klay Thompson-esque stat lines to start the year, and that's a huge difference, especially knowing that, you know, you have Clay as almost an ace up your sleeve uh, coming in probably around Christmas time is, is what they're saying. So, you know, when you look across that roster, they just have guys that are getting the job done. Even guys like Gary Payton Jr., like he's someone that he, he was on a two-way contract, and now he's coming in and playing big minutes, coming up with stops on defense, and that's another thing. They're getting it done on the defensive side of the ball. They're looking like a Golden State Warriors defense, again, anchored by Draymond Green, Andre Gudala coming back. That's a huge addition on the court and in the locker room. It just seems like they have, they're playing with a ton of confidence right now, and whether it's the veterans of you know Steph Curry and Draymond and Andre Gudala that are – talking up their young guys, just letting them know, hey, we, we have all the faith in the world in you. Go Absolutely. out there and make tough shots. Go out there and take shots. And it just seems like those young guys are coming in and playing with a ton of confidence. And that's been a huge, you know, it's been a huge boost in that 7-1 start. And I can't wait to see what they look like when not just Clay comes back, but also James Wiseman comes back. That's going to be another big addition. And I'm also, you know, I'll die on this island if I have to. I'm still a big believer that the first-round pick, top-ten pick, Jonathan Kaminga, at some point this season – can make a contribution to the Warriors as well. So it seems like they have, 
you know, a couple other cards in the deck that they're going to be able to pull out around the midway point of the season. And this team, we might not have even seen the best of them yet, and they're still in first place already. Absolutely. And they're so a typical guard-heavy type of team. And I think it's like, once again, just typical Warriors basketball paying dividends for them because Steph Curry is having some standout games. Like, he's looking like Steph Curry, the championship, the MVP Curry himself. But he's also becoming more of a facilitator, which I personally love to see in the point guard position because he knows his pieces so well with Andrew Wiggins. And I've always said this when back when Andrew Wiggins was with the with the T Wolves, I was like, he's not supposed to be the number one option. He's supposed to be your strong, strong second option. That's where he thrives at. Uh, and you know, we've seen Andrew Wiggins this past summer, even with Canada basketball, like just killing it. So, you know, I'm happy to see that the Warriors are are doing so well. Not to mention, you mentioned like Gary Payton uh, Jr. You know, he was the Raptors 905 this past season, and he was such a floor. Uh, general and leader, and so I think he definitely has been proving his own minutes with the Warriors teams as well. Yeah, and he again, it's just like they're pulling these guys. It's it's just a model franchise. They're they've done a great job of setting them setting themselves up for success immediately, but also in the long term. I mean, they have all these young guys that are coming in and already making an impact. And if they were playing on different rosters, who knows who these guys would be if they would even have a role in the NBA and. Yeah, you know, here we are, Gary Gary Payton Jr. is coming out and he's been one of their best defenders, best perimeter defenders. And Jordan Poole has basically come out of nowhere and he's become, you know, their second leading scorer. So just to have those type of players just ready and just ready to step up, it, like you said, it's, it has a lot to do with Stephen Curry being the facilitator and floor general and leader that he is. But it also has a lot to do with Draymond Green as well. And I think that those veterans in the locker room, they just have their young guys prepared. They have them playing with a ton of confidence. And you can see that radiating on the floor. Chatting with Kyle Irving here from NBA Canada and the Sporting News. Uh, you know, Kyle, I'm just curious, just because we're talking about Curry, uh, I'm curious to get both your opinions on this. Is is it even an argument anymore that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time? No, it's it's not an argument anymore, in my opinion. I mean, I, I actually did something for Sporting News the other day, just talking about his three-point records. And when you look at all the records that he holds, it's unbelievable. But it's even more than that. It For me, I mean, Ray Allen is an unbelievable shooter. Could he create his own shot as well as Stephen Curry could? Absolutely not. Reggie Miller, unbelievable shooter. Can he create his own shot as well as Stephen Curry can? Absolutely not. And I think that's where Steph really separates himself is he's so good at creating his own shot, but he's also, you know, he's slithery off ball. He can move around screens, get his feet set. All he needs is, you know, a third of a second to get a shot off. And I, I think that's where he separates himself a little bit from those other guys, just because, you know, I mean, Ray Allen earlier on in his career, he was creating his own shot a little bit more, but, towards the back end of his career, he was more of a catch-and-shoot guy, and same with Reggie Miller, and I feel like with Steph Curry, until the day that he exits the NBA, we'll still watch him you know, dribbling around at the top of the perimeter, coming off screens, trying to create separation, and then just chucks up this what seems like a heave, and then it goes in, you kind of just shrug your shoulders because you're not even surprised. All right, Savannah, before I ask Kyle his, my next question, I'm curious, do you, where do you fall on the Curry greatest shooter argument? Yeah, I like sat back there for a second. I'm like, I need to pull up the exact stats <laughs> to make sure that like we're, we're on the same page here. Right. But I think you do have to say Stephen Curry. But, you know, I'm always like very cautious when I say something like that because the history of basketball goes so in-depth. And I think about Larry Bird and like, you know, you mentioned Reggie Miller and the game has changed so much to what it now is. And you're right, Steph Curry is a guy that could totally create his own shot and that's what helped him become, I guess you could say, yeah, the best shooter in the NBA ever. 
So that's where I stand. I think I think you have to give it to Steph only because he could create his own shot on top of just hit freaking almost half court shots. Yeah, I think I think I I think yeah. I agree with both you guys. I think there is a like I think you can make the argument for Ray Allen and and Reggie Miller certainly like like Kyle was saying. But yeah, I'm, I was just curious. I think it's a it's a fun conversation to have, but it's 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 so fascinating to see that a guy who was like criticized, well not criticized, but kind of like looked at critically for the bad ankles and so on coming out of I don't know, I guess it was Davidson and and, and then he uh, he is what he is now with the greatest shooter of all time here right i think the real question is who's the second greatest shooter of all time Ooh, what do you think Kyle? Who's it, who's it, who's it, is, is it ray allen i mean it could be ray allen but it could also be the guy that's been running alongside his wing <laughs> for the majority true. of his career i mean clay thompson is as yep. much of a marksman as, as you can find too and i also think somebody that in in again like savannah said i don't want to you know discredit the history of the nba but just someone else in my lifetime that i feel like doesn't get brought up in the conversation enough even though he's struggling really bad to start the year this year is damian lillard he's another one that just shoots the lights out of the ball and talk about just being all-time clutch too he's another one that pops into my mind but i would personally say ray allen i might be a little i might be a little biased because of his time in boston i am Celtics fan, but you know i would say ray allen's up there reggie miller's up there i think clay thompson has just as much of an argument too though you know, you mentioned Damian Lillard, and you look at the Blazers this year, Kyle. They're they're five and five, I believe. They're at the eighth spot as of right now. It might change by the end of the by the end of the night, but they're in the eighth spot in the Western Conference. Like when it comes to Damian Lillard's, I don't know if the right maybe the right word is legacy, but when it's all said and done, what do you think we'll remember the most about Damian Lillard? I think it'll just be Dame time. I think like at the end of the day, it's going to be the clutch shots. It's going to be you know the buzzer beaters the one, to send home the Houston Rockets. Uh, earlier on his in his career, the the you know almost half court step back against Paul George it just seems like you know when the stakes are at their highest, he just gets better. And you know when you're looking at clutch stats from last year, that was honestly the case. I mean, he was better in the clutch than he was you know just in regular like game time. I mean, when it got down to the last five minutes in games that were in five within five points, Damian Lillard was shooting over 50 percent from the field, and he was shooting almost 50 percent from three. Like this is a guy that just elevates his game. So I feel like. You know, if he never ends up getting that championship and he's even said it himself, maybe the stubbornness to just stay in Portland and try and make it happen in Portland and not joining super teams and not linking up with all these superstars, like maybe that really will be his Achilles heel. Maybe it will be his kryptonite. But I think that he'll always be remembered for being someone that was loyal to Portland. He'll be remembered for not joining super teams, I guess, in an era where so many players were doing it. But you know, obviously, if he doesn't get that championship ring, that's going to sting a little bit. So I feel like game time and just his clutchness is really what we're going to remember. I was just going to say, does it mean a thing if he doesn't have a ring? I mean, it always means a thing. Even if people say that it doesn't mean a thing, it always means something without the ring. Like, you know, someone like Carmelo Anthony, who's an all-time great scorer, he was just named to the NBA All, you know, 75 greatest players list. People are always going to give him some slack because – he doesn't have that championship ring yet. And I mean, obviously he's in hot pursuit trying to get one with the Lakers this year and they're not off to the best start. But I mean, at the end of the day, if Carmelo Anthony had a championship ring, no matter how, what his role was on that team, I feel like people would view him differently, but because he doesn't, he makes that all, you know, NBA 75 list. And I feel like some people are kind of questioning that. So, I mean, Damon Lord already made his way on that list as well. And I'm not saying that list is the end all be all of an NBA legacy, but I do think that it does mean something if he doesn't end up with a ring, it's always going to mean a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I want to change the, the conversation a little bit. Good. Let's talk about the rookies. We're talking about the legends. Let's go back to the rookies here. Um, you know, obviously Scotty Barnes is emerging 
as the top candidate in the rookie of the year conversation. But, you know, I think a close second potentially could be Evan Mobley. There's a lot of season left to play. Chris Dort is also somebody that I also have kind of my eye on in potential challenging him for that rookie of the year title. Yeah, Scotty Barnes first off has been, I mean, I thought he was going to be good. I didn't expect him to be as good as he has been this fast. I think the thing that's impressed me about him the most is just his mentality offensively. Like at Florida State, he was lucky if he saw, you know, 10, 12 shots a game. And with the Raptors, he's come out, he's attacking. He's not afraid to shoot that jump shot, even though he's not all that, you know, I mean, I I shouldn't say he's not all that confident in it, but it seems like other people aren't that confident in in it for him. And he's still not hesitating. He's going out there, he's shooting, he's attacking the rim. And I think that's made a huge difference just in his confidence level and just, you know, how he's playing this game. Uh, but I also think, like you said, Evan Mobley is off to an unbelievable start. Uh, the big thing with Mobley coming into the draft, everyone talked about his versatility and what makes him so special is that, you know, he can be a center who is out on the perimeter switching and picking roles with no problem. We saw him do it at the college level, and he's already proving he can do it at the NBA level. Uh, I think it was through the first two weeks he had, and this is, you know, a very niche stat, but he was leading the league in, I think it was like shots challenged at the three-point line and th- shots challenged at the rim. It just shows that, you know, he really is versatile enough. He has the foot speed to move around on the perimeter and guard multiple positions. And I think that goes a long way, especially being a center in today's NBA. Uh, you mentioned Chris Duarte. He's off to a roaring start, too, in that Pacer starting lineup that is desperately needed a little bit of help because they're off to a slow start. But I think another player who hasn't been talked about that much, and he probably won't get talked about that much just because he's on a bad team, but Josh Giddy in Oklahoma City is really impressing me as well. I mean, he's not scoring, so he's not going to get the attention that some other people do. But just the way he passes the ball, the way he moves around on the court, I mean, he was the rookie of the year in the NBL in Australia last year. And I think that, you know, when you look at him and you're looking at the poise that he plays with as an 18-year-old rookie, there's nothing about him when you're watching him play that screams, I'm an 18-year-old rookie. He looks like he's been there before, and maybe part of it is because he kind of has been there before playing at the professional level. But he's another one who I feel like hasn't been in the Rookie of the Year conversation as much this year. But I feel like he should be getting a little bit more shine than he should, so I want to make sure I gave him a shout-out. Yeah, he's been, he has been, it's a good pick too. He has been really, really good when you look at the overall rookie conversations. Like certainly Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes and Jalen Suggs and Cade Cunningham are, are taking the uh, the highlights here, but, and a, you know, for good reason, obviously. But yeah, the, these other guys definitely deserve mentions as well. Um, I do want to kind of bring it back full circle to the Raptors, uh, Kyle, before we, before we let you go in a couple minutes here, just uh, Delano Banton is someone we talked a lot about, right? And it's just, it's funny to think that Banton has become you know, regardless of tonight, it just, he has become an integral member of the rotation so soon. Rexdale, Rexdale's own Delano Banton. I just like, I just, I just wonder how you, like how the Raptors keep on finding these kind of, I don't know what the right word is, maybe diamonds in the rough, you know, when it comes to their scouting department, because certainly the credit, the credit goes to Masai Jiri, credit goes to Bobby Webster, but I feel like there are a lot of other people we don't always mention when it comes to the Raptors and the way they, they scout players that other teams seemingly don't have lines on. Yeah, I mean, how many second-round picks do you see making an impact immediately the way that Delano Banton has? And I feel like, you know, that's something that the Raptors have just, they, like you said, they have a knack of finding this type of talent. And, you know, maybe with Delano Banton, it was just the fact that he's six foot nine with a wingspan that's o- o- over seven feet, and Masai Ujiri is like, we have to have this guy. But, I mean, you just look at him, and he goes out there, 
and he can do multiple things. He's bringing the ball up the floor, initiating offense. He's all over the place, a long and wiry defender. He brings energy on the glass, brings energy on the defensive end. And I think when you think of a Raptors type of player, that's, you know, it fits it to a T. And I think that when the Raptors, I'm assuming when the Raptors were doing their scouting and they brought in a player like Delano Banton, who maybe, you know, he was only on their radar because he was Canadian or whatever the case may be. They see this guy and they're like, Hey, this is a prototypical Raptors player. And obviously they saw something in him more highly than just what you usually see in a second round pick because they signed him to a guaranteed contract as opposed to putting him on a two-way deal and having him split time with the 905 and with the big, and with the big league squad. So it really does feel like they saw something in Delano Benton where they were like, hey, this is the type of kid that can make an impact for us right away. We like the energy he plays with. We like his versatility. We like the fact that he can initiate offense, uh, especially with you know, the point guard concerns with Kyle Lowry leaving and they weren't sure what they were going to get out of Goran Dragic. And did they want Fred Van Bleek to play the point? Can Scotty, is Scotty Barnes going to play the point? It just seems like Delano Banton filled a lot of different roles in one player. And we're seeing that come to fruition right away. I mean, he's played really, really solid. You can't ask for much more out of a second round pick than the Raptors have got from Delano Banton. And I think, like you said, just being Rexdale's own, it just, it, it adds to the intrigue and adds to the love that he's gotten from the fan base already. Absolutely. I always think how amazing it must be for him to play here in his hometown. And I, I think it's so special when NBA players get to play in front of the, the crowd that they, that they grew up in front of, like that they grew up in. Like I think of, you know, Derek Rose and his time with Chicago and how incredible that run was for him. But I do want to pick your mind just before we let you go as well. You know, what is up with Boston and the box? Because they're having some early season struggles, but I would lo- I'd love to hear your thoughts on both teams and what they could probably do to, to turn it around. Well, we'll start with Boston. That was a heartbreaker last night. I mean, they, they had that take foul and let Luka Doncic take a last-second shot. It just seems like if there was a number one rule in the rule book for guarding Luka Doncic, you just wouldn't want him to have the ball in his hands with the game on the line. But I think when you know you look at Jason Tatum struggling early on, and you know he's going to work his way through that and – I don't think there should be much uh, concern about what's going on with him. I mean, he's going, he's just, he's a great scorer. He's a smooth scorer. He's just not knocking down shots that he usually does. Um, But I do think that Marcus Smart was kind of within his realm of the leader of the team to call out him and Jalen early on and just say, Hey, like this is going to be team basketball. We got to work the ball around. And they had two of their best games of the season after those comments. I mean, they beat the heat who, in my opinion, from the teams that I've watched so far this year, I haven't seen many NBA teams that look better than the Miami Heat right now. So for the Celtics to go into Miami and blow out the Heat, I think that shows what they're capable of when they're playing at their best. But again, they just continue to have some brain farts like they had last night and it ended up costing them a game. So I think, you know, with a new head coach, he's still definitely trying to figure out his rotation. In my opinion, I think he stuck to his opening night rotation for a little bit too long before he started making some adjustments and giving guys some other chances. But again, he's a new head coach. He's going to have to, you know, take some time and figure out what, what rotations work, which lineups work, which player combinations work, and they're going to try and grow from there. But with the Milwaukee Bucks, I think it's a little bit of a championship hangover. And, like, obviously that's more of a metaphorical thing than it is a real thing. But I think, I mean, they're still missing a starter in Dante DiVincenzo, who Grayson Allen's filled his role really, really well. Uh, Giannis is still playing at a high level. But I think the biggest thing is just obviously Chris Middleton has been out with COVID and, you know, Chris Middleton isn't, I understand he's had the all-stars, uh, all-star appearances. Like he's starting to get a little bit more love, but I don't think people realize like how integral he is to what Milwaukee does. Like there are a lot of times where he's their full-time point guard and he's really good on the defensive end. He just hits a lot of timely shots 
and take so much pressure off of Giannis when defenses collapse. I mean, you just can't afford to send that extra body when Chris Middleton's on the perimeter because you know he's going to knock it down. So I feel like with the Bucs, uh, it's a combination of a championship hangover. It's a combination of players missing from the lineup, but I don't think there's really anything to, to be too concerned about them because you know that once the season continues on and, and Chris Middleton gets back in the lineup, they're going to rattle off probably a stretch of, you know, 10 games where they'll win nine out of 10 or, you know, 20 games where they win say 17 out of 20. And, and that's just going to happen because that team is still so good defensively. Giannis is just that good. Uh, on both sides of the ball, and Chris Milton is someone that can step up and, and make big plays too. And actually, I have to add that Drew Holiday missed time after that first game of the season as well. So, combination of injuries and a championship hangover, in my opinion, for Milwaukee. Chatting with Kyle Irving, NBA content producer for Sporting News and NBA Canada. Kyle, we really appreciate you being so generous with your time for us. Uh, enjoy the rest of the uh, couple of remaining games on the slate today, the rest of the season, and I'm sure we'll do this again soon later on. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. There he goes. Kyle Irving, again, NBA content producer for Sporting News and NBA Canada. As the Raptors are unfortunately losers today, 116-103 the final in favor of the Brooklyn Nets down at Scotiabank Arena. In about 10 minutes' time, in case you're curious, Will Lou will be across the airwaves. He will be hosting Raptors Reaction. He'll take your calls and texts, so you can get those texts in right now. I see a couple trickling across the uh, text line, Savannah. So, uh, Will, we'll get to those texts in about 10 to 15 minutes. But, uh, yeah, again, the Raptors, I guess, I guess again, they've, they've not struggled against the elite teams or the, the, top, the upper echelon teams, maybe a, better, maybe a better way of saying, because they've had some really quality wins this year. But, again, you and I have talked about this over the course of this, today's show. The Raptors... It, it, like they, anytime they lose, it's tough. You don't love when when a team lo- loses, but at the same time, it's almost like every time they lose, you look at the way they lost and some of the things that went wrong, and you think, all right, this is a pretty good learning experience for a team that just got Pascal Siakam back. Cam Birch was out with injury. Scotty Barnes still only what two games back from a sprained thumb. It's just there are a lot of things you can. I'm not saying they're excuses by any means, but I think for a young team like this, even for the core guys who are still relatively speaking young, I mean. Again, moral victories aren't aren't great, but still, you want to see places they can improve. And I think I think they you know there's some t- things they're positive takeaways. Let's put it that way from tonight's loss. Absolutely, and you know Will's gonna come in and kick us out of the studio and break that down Absolutely. shortly. Yeah. But you know, one thing I, I can add just already is the fact that like you know the Raptors, the way that they were losing in the beginning of the season is not the way that they lost against Cleveland. It's not the way that they lost again tonight. And that, for me, actually resonates with a little bit of growth in this team. And you want to be able to take away. You can't, if you always consistently win, then sometimes you almost get a little bit relaxed on that. And you, oh, no, no, it will work itself out. Or maybe one person's going to put the team on their back this season and, and, you know, so be it. But when you have something to really analyze, go back into the video room, pick pick up on, break down, you could take that going forward. And it really only makes you stronger. And hey, if they're taking a loss against the Nets, one of the best teams in the East that's expected to be, um, it, it says something. It says like, okay, and they're not, they didn't get, it wasn't a blowout. It was um, a close game overall. But, you know, you look at the con- contributing factors to that on, on the Raptor side being like, yeah, Pascal's coming back into the lineup. They also tried something different. They went a little bit smaller ball in a sense without Kem Birch, obviously being forced to do that. Um, you know, Svima Hailuk maybe didn't have the most productive night based on the stat line with five points and one assist in 21 minutes here. But, um, you know, Precious, Precious Achua 
you know, he was kind of playing his game again. So there's some positive takeaways on top of the fact that, you know, you, you'll inevitably get some some hitch, some hitches and glitches throughout the season as well. Don't keep in mind that this team is still, once again, so young. And I think that's the problem is that with that, like, win streak that they were on there, the expectations could have been getting a little too high too fast. Um, Scotty Barnes also just coming back from a right thumb sprain, right. which was apparent in the Cleveland game and probably apparent tonight as well. But like I said, Will's going to come in here, kick us out, and break it all down. Absolutely. So you can send him your text at 595-90. You can always uh, get your calls ready as well. Will's going to be in here for Raptors reaction in about, I think, it just about 10 minutes. Um, until he gets here, though, uh, with the Raptors again, losers today, 116-103. Head coach Nick Nurse just finished speaking to the media. Let's hear a little bit of what he had to say. Well, I think I think we got off to a really bad start, Doug. I think we came out and got two wide open threes and one wide open dunk and we came away empty handed. And um, I think if you're creating those kind of opportunities, you got to come away with something. I mean, we, we probably should have been up about 12 rather than them up one at the end of that run. Um, but, you know, those missed shots led to, we didn't play very good defense at all. We did, they, they scored just every possession to start the second half. I'm not sure. Um, where our kind of focus or energy went there to start the second half. It's too bad because we were playing really, really well. And, uh, you know, you got to recharge those juices and get, you know, get the get back fired up, ready to, you know, play those first five minutes of the second half. That was really the ball game. And then we were kind of chasing it from there and wasn't, wasn't, wasn't very good from there. Second half, the really good first half, not very good second half. You look at OG and Gary, and they're, I think they're three point shooting one for 11 between them, but they seem to all get good looks. Most of the looks look pretty clean for them. Yeah, I mean, I, Gary Gary had a couple, I think. He probably had one or two that were pretty contested, but he, he's kind of been hitting those lately. Uh, OG, I thought, had really good ones, right? Um, and, you know, we're going to need those. I think I think there's at times you're going to see a little bit of spacing issues out there on the floor, and, and when we do have that and we get those chances, those are the things that are going to keep the offense ticking over. Um, did really disappointed in the way we went to the offensive glass today. That's that's uh, uh, wasn't, It wasn't... Uh, um, characteristic of the way we've been playing and it wasn't close. It wasn't, it wasn't like we were putting heat on them and they were just doing a really good job. We just weren't putting enough effort in to go, to go make them work uh, to keep us off the glass. How do you think Pascal looked? Pretty good. Yeah, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought, I thought again, it's been a long time and I thought he looked pretty comfortable out there. Um, thought he had a couple of, you know, good good drives and good moves. Had a couple tough rolls there again that rolled off on him, but but not too bad. I have to check the tape and see all around how he looked, but I thought he was moving good and and uh, skills looked good. You got some good minutes from Precious today too, especially when he first came in the yep. half there. What did you make of this? Uh, yeah, no, that was good. I think it kind of suited um, the the rotations that they had as well. You know, bringing Aldridge in off the bench, we kind of needed a big to to play him. With us, so we wouldn't have to go to too much other uh, scheming, et cetera. But uh, yeah, I thought he, he played good. He was, you know, he was uh, lively, made a couple of cuts and catches, dunk, dunk here, there. And, and um, you know, there were certainly opportunities for him out there tonight and he, and he made some of them. So that was good. I thought he was good tonight. They seem to be picking on speed a little bit at the end of the third and the start of the fourth with or, or just screens. Yep. Uh, he's been pretty good <laughs> up to this point. He had a rough night tonight. Um, how hard is the offense defense 
conversation in your head, kind of to sort out in those moments, especially when you're having. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, you look at it didn't seem too tough except for in that third quarter where they were scoring like crazy and we weren't scoring at all. So you need, it's one of those times where you need both, right? You need, you need to get your best defensive lineup out there and your best offensive lineup. And unfortunately, sometimes you can't do that. Um, it was, you know, um, they're, they're, you know, that's, that's what they do. They're going to, they want it. They want it. Uh, whoever they think they can go out, it was Fee some, it was Gary some, you know, just to put a smaller defender on Harden on the screen. Um, and, um, you know, I thought we were doing an okay job, but we weren't probably closing down the drive soon enough. And then we let him shake free for the threes. I mean, we can't, you can't do that with, uh, we even did, you know, once with, with uh, Durant, I thought we had him pretty, you know, we were doing a good job on him too. He was working really hard. Um, then we, you know, you relax one time and he, he, you know, sidesteps you to the, to the, to the left and bangs a three on you. You know, you just, you just gotta execute, you know, what your, you know, the, the personnel decisions that you're making within the schemes each and every time on those guys, but they both played very well. They both, you know, made, made big buckets and, and, um, you know, they're, they're good players as we all know. That is Nick Nurse just finishing speaking to the media following the Raptors. 116-103 loss to the Brooklyn Nets down at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a tough game. Nick Nurse, I think, is gonna, you know the mad scientist that is Nick Nurse. He's going to take some things, conjure up some new schemes for the players, and, and get ready for game, uh, I don't even know where we are in this season now, game 10, game 11, but time is a flat circle, Savannah. But, uh, but you know what, I'm, I'm not worried Brooklyn Nets always were going to be a tough out. So, you know what, you take what you can get. And I'm looking, I'm very much looking forward to the next game from the Toronto Raptors. This just got way, way philosophical time. What is, what is, what is time? time? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need some snaps in here. Um, yeah, no, the Raptors have a great season ahead. I think like, like they've already surpassed uh, schedule in terms of their growth and development, which is exciting because, you know, they really technically shouldn't be as far as they as they are in the season but they had a rough stretch in the beginning of the season so they've had a lot of time to get their chemistry and, and their team organization on the court together and Fred Van Vliet stepping into a bigger role of course um, that's going to take time to adjust for him and so I think it's also kind of unfair to even though they had a win streak to also have this incredibly high expectation from the oh yeah they're going to be top five or top three or something crazy in the east like that you know so I, I'm just very cautious when, you know, it's like what the former Raptor Kawhi Leonard said, never get too high, never get too low. Just take it as it is. This is a great loss, I think, against the Nets in terms of learning and against a quality team. You don't want to lose against a team that can't really necessarily help you or maybe the loss was a bad loss to so they're playing at a lower level than what they should be. Even the Cavs, the Cavs are actually a solid team this year. So I wasn't necessarily even that mad at that loss. They just made some poor decisions down the road. So I would say, you know, keep your chin up and it's going to be a fun ride. It is going to be a really fun ride. What was also a fun ride was doing this show with Absolutely. you today, Savannah. I know it's our first show together, uh, hopefully the first of many. So I uh, appreciate you joining me today on The Fan. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun uh, talking talking everything sports with you, man. Everything, I appreciate it. Everything under the sun. I appreciate you being along for the ride today. And uh, again, I hope we get to do this again soon. That is Savannah Hamilton. I'm Show Ali. Thank you for listening to Sportsnet today. I guess now Sportsnet tonight, now that we're past 6 p.m. But uh, again, I want to thank our guests, Amon Adon, Dave McCarthy, June Lee, Jalen Collins, and of course, Kyle Irving. Will Lou is next with Raptors Reaction.